right, Justin. Sing me a song that just kind of makes you think of some badass cowboy shit. I don't know if it's badass enough for this, but I don't care. It's kind of cowboyish, so I'm going to sing it anyway. It's a little wild and a little strange. Dun, 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 dun. Living life out on the range. Yippee ki yeah. Yippee ki What? That's what the cowboy say. Hey, dude. There you go. I don't know if I've ever heard that song. What what the fuck is that? Hey, dude, from Nickelodeon? Is that the actual that words of that song? I don't remember any of the yeah. fucking words to that song. I was thinking that <laughs> might be it when you said, hey, dude. But I'm like, that also just sounds like some generic-ass cowboy shit. I don't fucking remember any words to that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's No, like, salute words. your shorts? I gotcha. Hey, dude. Camp on a wanna. We hold you in our hearts. And when we think about you, it makes me want to fart. Yes. You did it. But, yeah, I didn't. I honestly, I remember nothing about the Hey Dude song. Except that it ends with Hey Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that whip. So the fact that you knew any words to that song. I don't know what Justin did. I'm on the whip. What was that? Justin, <laughs> yes, did not do a whip sound. I can't do it. It doesn't sound like that. No, it, it does sounds not like sound a robot like that. trying to reverse and can't. <laughs> does it? I thought I was really close. No, <laughs> you were not close in the slightest. Oh, but you know what, Justin? You're going to get two points just because I did not know that there were any other words to that song. Yes. You are a catalog for just all songs and everything. I think you're more of that whip. He's more of a catalog of nineties TV theme songs. Yeah, it's more like that era, but still, I know him. Yeah, like I said, I had no idea that there were any other words to that song other than hey dude. (laughs) That's literally all I remember. I thought, like, honestly, in my head, I thought it was just cowboy-esque music, and it just show all the cast, and then go, hey, dude, that's it. That's literally all I thought that song, like, the intro was. <laughs> yeah, so. that's all I remember. And it's funny, because it's not like I spend time looking this stuff up or anything. I didn't pull anything up or anything, but for some reason, I just... I just remember some of them. I don't know. I guess that just shows how much of a couch potato TV watching kid I was growing up. But even like the other day, somebody was randomly like a a mom was talking to her kid or something. And she was like, where is it? Is it in? Is it? Is it here? Is it there? Is it in Eureka's castle? And I remember that song from that all of a sudden in my head. Eureka's castle. Like it came just when she said that. And I was like. Her kid's not going to know that reference. Oddly enough, that's the only part of Eureka's Castle I remember. His Eureka's Castle. That's all. That's the castle, only lyrics castle, I remember. Castle, that one. castle, 
Other than what is it? And that was when it's like lunchtime and she would ring the triangle. At the end of yeah. at the end of the episode. Yep, yep. Yep. Man, I remember all those like man, that that used to be the lot up though. You had Eureka's Castle, The Elephant Show, Muppet Babies, David the Gnome. Man, that was the lot up back in the day when you were a kid. And also like David the Gnome is probably the most depressing ending to a child's TV show ever. I don't I remember I how that. that ended. Okay, that how show that ends. End? I don't remember with like him and his wife going into like the gnome land or whatever. Like it's essentially going into the afterlife. They just go, "Yep, we've lived long enough." Or gnomes only live a certain amount of time, and then they go to this place and just die. And I mean, they don't say die, but it's like then they just go and become a spirit or some shit. That's essentially how that show Aww. ends. Man, I used to look. I don't remember that, but that sounds really sad. I'm gonna have to find that and watch it. It's just every wish and dream and have behold, you will find the kingdom of the gnomes. Now, now of TV shows in that era, because if if I'm remembering correctly, those are all Nickelodeon shows that you just named. But what? Disney cartoon of that era had the best song for one more bonus point. If you get this one, right? Same type of show as the ones you mentioned. There's one Disney show that just beats all their asses when it comes to theme songs. Man, there were so many good ones. I don't know what you're going to say. I have a feeling I know which one you're going to say. But you're probably wrong. Man. I know what my personal favorite is. My personal favorite, um, of course, is the Chip and Dale one. But that's I know that's the one, not your that's favorite. That's the one I knew that you were thinking that just would pop in your head. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. You would be wrong. <laughs> but I know that that's that. not your favorite. I know that that's not your favorite. But I've narrowed it down to two. It's it's gotta be it's gotta be either Tailspin or um, Darkwing Duck, and I'm gonna go with Darkwing Duck because that's a badass song. You're actually wrong right. on both of those. It's neither one. You're. Crazy. I was gonna say Darkwing Duck too. Actually, it's obviously it? Gummy Bears. What? Oh Come my on. god! That was like the that was like Come my uh, that was the that was the choice after those. But I didn't think you would. I didn't think you would dig that. Hey, that what is that one, Justin? Hey, it's gummy a- bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. High adventure that's beyond compare. We are the gummy bears. It's tight. <laughs> Come on, it's it's got bears in the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> Come on, man! It's bears taking down evil. How would that obviously not be the the only choice? But you got to admit, Tailspin was a banger, though. Tailspin was. Oh yeah, Tailspin. Oh yeah, Tailspin. 
all the trouble he get in with another tailspin. Spin it. Man, that song was tight, bro. It's I mean, still a banger. I mean, Justin, to your credit, none of the shows you mentioned have a bad theme song. You know, whether it was Tailspin, Darkwing, or Chippendale Rescue Rangers. None of those are bad songs. I'm just saying Gummy Bears was the best. DuckTales. Oh, see, that's a good one, too. That is a good one. Especially because it had the scene of him fucking (laughs) diving into a pool of gold coins. That is probably one of the most iconic scenes in a 90s TV opening of an animated show. True. Yep. I mean, to this day, I want to dive into coins and then float to the top and spit them out like water. You know, but if I did that, I wanted to do that, too. I would just die because I'd be hitting just a pool of coins. They're metal. Yep. I would die. (laughs) I think I was watching. I don't know if I was watching Mythbusters or something, but yeah, I was sad to find out that it is impossible to do that. Like I should have known, but to have it confirmed, I was kind of sad. Well, it's just because he's a magical son of a bitch. (laughs) Anyway, we've gone 10 minutes and Heather hasn't even gone yet. Heather, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh boy. what is your song of badass cowboy shit? There's no need to be sorry, Justin, at all. <laughs> um, badass cowboy. Um, I gotta go with, um, we're going straight to the wild, wild west. We're going straight to the wild, wild west. Did you, wah, wah, wah. did you go out of your way to sing the, the wah, least wah, wah. badass cowboy song ever? <laughs> it's literally the only one that I could think of about cowboys. You could sing any fucking Garth Brooks song and get a point. If you just went, I'm going to sing the song to Wild Wild West. What oh about my. that one song? I want it. Dead or alive. Oh, that would have been a good that? one, too. See, you would have actually bon gotten yeah. minus two points for singing that song. Because it just makes no fucking <laughs> sense. On a steel horse I ride. Fuck that song. On a steel horse I ride. And I want it. Dead or alive. It was fun on Guitar Hero. But do you know why that song doesn't work? Because in no universe what? do I feel like Brett Michaels is a badass. And so he's <laughs> just there singing about how, you know, he's wanted dead or alive. No. Just nobody wants I you to. I thought that just... was Bon Jovi. I thought it was fucking poison. Huh. Somebody look it up. <laughs> you know, Heather, I'll give you one point. Just because it took us 10 minutes for you to fail that much. So I'll give you a point. Thanks. But you can't be singing no fucking Wild Wild West. You can't be singing the song. It is Bon Jovi. I buy that even less. So, you know, Bon Jovi. Being a badass. Nope, I don't buy it like that either. 
it's it's the same. So mainly because I think it's because he's from New Jersey. I can't buy anybody from New Jersey being like a badass like that, like just in a cowboy esque way. You know, mm. like I can buy it from like Tony Soprano, but like Tony Soprano's not like. I'm fucking doing some John Wayne shit here. I'm a cowboy. So I buy it. Plus, there's something weird about when somebody references a motorcycle, calling it a steel horse. Like, that's a stretch. So. But anyway, Heather, you still get a point. Mainly because my fondest memory of that song is the fact that when they performed at the MTV Video Awards, uh, Stevie Wonder played with them, and everybody left his blind ass on stage. And that was kind of funny. I forgot about that. And uh, Drew Hill's the one that realized and went, oh, let me go get Stevie Wonder off the stage, because nobody is helping this blind man. And that's Mm. just kind of funny. So, you get a point based on that. Cool. Anyway, are you guys ready to start this episode? Yep. Yeah, and that Wild Wild West movie is terrible, by the way. Yeah, Justin, that's why it gets no points. But she got one because... Had to get... The other... Had to get that in. That's why it was a bad choice. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not... I'm not defending the movie. It was just, I, I thought it was a catchy song. Man, do you guys remember that gigantic ass spider? It's all big. Stop it. Stop big it. We would, not, we would not discuss this any further. Stop locomotive it. spider. What <laughs> <laughs> was that? Just. And there were just spiders everywhere for whatever reason. Like, they, that made no sense. They just had spiders <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Why did they do it? Like, I'm just going out on a limb, but making a gigantic mechanical spider in the 1800s seems like it'd be more difficult than building an, I don't know, big mechanical thing with wheels. (laughs) Like, why wouldn't you just use wheels? Why are you using spider legs? That's (laughs) way more mechanically difficult. If you don't have everything coordinated perfectly, you'd lose balance. That's true. Have you ever seen like an actual like little robot spider? Like where it's like a free roaming robot <laughs> spider type of thing? His balance issues out the ass. And that's by that's by twenty twenty standards. <laughs> there I bet go. I know what it would sound like though. Jason, can you do your whip again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really kind of actually surprised nobody had that on the list for Worst movies. It's it's also because it's that such a forgettable a movie. Yeah, that's yeah. why. Yeah, we want like, to remember better times with Will Smith. It's just one of those movies that it just like yeah. it kind of came out. Five people saw it in theaters. You know, everybody fucking had a I don't know a promotional fucking cup from Burger King though for a little bit or whatever the fuck it was, and it just kind of went away. Because just no one cared. 
like, yes, it is an absolute garbage fest of a movie, but it's also one of those movies that you're just like, it doesn't cross my mind. Like, it's bad, but do you really hate it? Like, does it really inspire hate? No, you just kind of pity it because it's that terrible. You're just like, oh, poor movie. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. In actuality, the only time I remember it is if somebody brings up the song. The song is probably more memorable than the movie. I mean, normally, that's what triggers a conversation about that movie is somebody thinking about the song, in my experience anyway. Well, it's the sole reason why we're talking about it now. That's the only way it happens. (laughs) Is if somebody goes, man, do you remember how Will Smith used to do songs based on his movies? And somebody goes, yeah, like Men in Black. And you're like, yeah, Men in Black 2. Yeah. And then Wild Wild West. And you're like, oh, yeah, that movie. Ugh. <laughs> man, do you guys remember that he had like little spider legs for himself, too? Like, what the fuck was this uh, man yeah. doing? Please. Can we just, please? All right, fine. Here's our song. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. Today, we are going to talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with the Netflix movie, The Harder They Fall. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to help you jump around if you so desire to do so. Now, with all that, do you guys want to talk about the Spider-Man trailer first or after the movie? Um, let's go after. All right, after. So, like I said, yeah. we will talk about the Netflix movie, The Harder They Fall. Uh... Justin, go. Yeah, man. Um, I enjoyed this. I thought that this was pretty cool, man. Um, pretty cool. It does have some flaws, but overall, I really enjoyed this. I forget what podcast it was, but I remember me talking about wanting a black Western. I think um, it was kind of one of those episodes where we were trying to assign a director to a project and i remember i think i i chose spike lee as my director and i was like you know i wish he would do something that's like western theme but like based on like black cowboys black westerns and i remember even mentioning bass reeves as a person who he should talk about you know being that bass reeves kind of had like a legendary career as like a bounty hunter sheriff type of guy So, so I kind of, and with this movie, I kind of got what I wanted, you know? I mean, Bass Reeves is in this, played by 
Delroy Lindo, even though he is not the central character on which the narrative is around. But it was cool to see him. I was like, shit, when I, when I saw the casting for this and who was going to be in it, I was like, oh, that's cool. Bass Reeves is in this. So I, I thought that that was really cool. And like, just to be non-spoilery about it, uh, yeah, like this movie's very stylish. I, I like the way that it was shot. A killer soundtrack that perfectly kind of goes with everything that's happening in the movie. I love the mix of like Western music, kind of that cowboy music mixed with hip hop. It made for a nice mesh. I thought that it went well with who's casted in this being that this is pretty much a predominantly black cast. Um, and it's about like black cowboys, black people that lived in that time. So, and even though the story itself is fictional, it is based on actual people who existed like Bass Reeves and Stagecoach Mary and people like that. Um, though there are some controversies that are kind of coming about with that, but um, I will, um, if you guys aren't aware of some of those controversies, I'll elaborate on some of those things later. Because there are some that that have come up with this movie. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Uh, but with all that being said, I was just going to say, when we go to spoilers, let's start with that. Cause I don't, I don't know these. So I'm very curious now. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We'll get, we'll, we'll get into that then. But yeah, but, but that being said, I really enjoyed this. I thought the acting performances were great and I won't spend too much time, but I'll just name some people, I mean, Jonathan Majors is just, man, this guy is killing it right now. Whether he's in Lovecraft Country or whether he's, um, you know, in the MCU playing Kang the Conqueror variant or whether he's here, man. Jonathan Majors is just killing it right now, man. It's like this guy just can't do any wrong right now. Uh, Idris Elba was great as Rufus Black. Um, Regina King was tight in this too. And of course, Lakeith Stanfield was, was great too. But there were a lot of other, uh, minor characters that I thought did well, at least did well enough with what they were given, um, with their characters and all the characters that are in this just really kind of stand out in their own unique way. So, um, some of course were given limited screen time, limited things to say and stuff like that. But I thought that whenever it was time for them to be on camera, they shined, you know, they meshed well with the rest of the main cast. So I like that. I thought the dialogue was very good in this too. Like, I like how it was kind of (laughs) sort of like, um, what I was talking about with the music where it was kind of like Western talk mixed with hip hop. You saw almost a little bit of that in the dialogue at times or just the way people would say things or, um, you know, it was sometimes even though the characters were speaking kind of accurate for that time, there were some times though, when I thought it kind of went <laughs> the other way a little bit, or maybe they would add a little bit of flavor in there, but, but it all just, kind of worked for me i really just felt this movie and what it was trying to do so uh it it was refreshing man to see something like this and the last thing i'll say about it is just plot wise um even though i didn't get everything i wanted i like that they took the typical revenge tale that's told in these western kind of movies and 
there is a, a twist that they put on it. You know, they kind of told, tell it in a different way. And the, where this movie winds up in its resolution, I thought was very, uh, innovative for this kind of a Western revenge tale type of movie. That being said, uh, the last thing I'll say is that before we get to spoilers is I definitely urge you to watch this before you listen to the spoiler section. I don't think that when you, by the time you get to the end of this, it will be as effective if you already know what the ending is. So I did want to put that little caveat out there. I think the ending really works when you don't know. So I thought that um, that at least should be said to throw that little warning in there. If you do plan on watching this on Netflix, but yeah, overall uh, I, I thought that this was good. It has a few flaws. It's not a perfect film, but I thought it was very fun, very entertaining. I like the style of this. Um, I, I like the sort of, uh, pridefulness that it had as far as the casting and the shooting and, and the way that the film carries itself. And I thought all the main characters showed up and ultimately this was a good time uh, on Netflix. Uh, Heather, what about you? I actually thought this was a fantastic movie. I I think there was no bad performance whatsoever in this entire movie. The entire way through, consistently excellent performances by everybody. Um, yeah, again, Regina King is just amazing. Zazie Beetz. Um, there was even somebody that I hadn't seen before. Um, her name is Danielle Deadweiler. She plays Cuffy in this movie. She was amazing. Um, yeah, Lakeith is always great Idris is always great and Jonathan Majors yeah he is kind of the top-notch like cream of the crop right now in just acting skill and everything so I I think that they really could not have casted a more perfect film uh, for just the story they were telling and just what the emotions that they needed to get across from these different characters um I mean even like the um yeah, like you said, there's a couple of other side characters too, like um, like R.J. Seiler, um, who plays Beckworth, who's like you know the fastest gun in the in the whole land or whatever. Like he was great too, you know. Um, everybody just really brought it, and I just I loved the style of it. I loved the soundtrack. I, it just really just pumps you up for every scene that's happening. I do think that the story was compelling. I think it was told in a really great way. I don't think that this was um, too long or too short. I think it was just the right amount of time of movie. I think that it was very well paced. There are very few flaws in this movie. I, I mean, maybe not quite a perfect movie, but it's really close in my opinion. I think it's a really, really excellent movie. And it's it's just one of those where you don't see anything like it. Like, it's it's original. It's unique. And even at the very beginning, they tell you, I, I, and I love how they do it, where they're just like, you know, this is not based on real events, but these people existed. And I love that. That disclaimer that they give at the very beginning of this film is kind of awesome, because they're like, let's just call it what it is, you know, <laughs> but we're going to make a great story out of it anyway. And I, I just loved that approach that they took with it. I love the direction that the story took. I love that there's elements to it, and there's things in it that you don't necessarily expect to happen. And, um, you know, sometimes in like Westerns and things like that, 
that's a little bit harder to do because you almost feel like you can predict whatever's going to happen. But this was, you know, it, it wasn't a fully like predictable movie. And the whole journey, you're just like, I'm really in for this ride. This is great. So I, I just think it was excellent. Like the performances, I just can't even say enough about how amazing everybody was. Like you have like the, you know, I, I loved the dynamic between Zazie Beats and Regina King, like these two badass women that were just like protecting their own and like really just their whole dynamic was so amazing to watch. And Nat Love kind of with everybody or Jonathan Major's character with everybody. Like they're just every, every piece of how they put this together was so like they, they didn't linger in parts of the story that they didn't need to, but they give you just enough for you to understand what's happening in backstories and things like that. And I just think the way that they unfold everything in this is really well done. So I loved it. I thought it was excellent. Um, a few things with this movie. Um, you know, you, uh, Jonathan Majors. Um, what a career this man is having. Because what I didn't even know he was an actor till what a year and a half ago with *The Five Bloods*. Mm-hmm. And he was fantastic in that, but you know he was a side character in that, you know, or not necessarily a side character, but a part of a larger ensemble with a lot of bigger actors than him, especially at the time, including Delroy Lindo, who's in this movie. So, you know, but then man, he's just he's he was he was great in that. He was great in Lovecraft Country. He was great for that little bit we see in Loki, you know. Which I was already excited for him to be King the Conqueror because of what we'd seen with him before. And then he comes out with this. And how can you not be pumped for every fucking movie this guy's going to be in ever? Like, this man is mm. fantastic in everything he's in. Um, I mean, Lakeith Stanfield. Do I need to say any more that I haven't already said about how much I love that man and everything he does? What I think also needs to happen, and somebody needs to make this happen is he needs to be the voice of everything philosophical ever. Just ever. <laughs> because when he speaks see that. in like a philosophical way, which he does in a lot of things, he does it in Atlanta, he does it in this, it just hits that much harder. He's just got the perfect voice for that type of role. And fuck, I love it. I mean, Regina King, spectacular as she just fucking is. Idris Elba, fantastic as he always fucking is. Delroy Lindo, fucking fantastic as he always is. I still think Delroy Lindo, as as much as I... There's a movie that came out in the 90s. It's a very shitty movie, but I love this movie. It's a movie called Congo. It's a bad movie. Oh, but I love me some Congo. Mainly, I, I, Congo. I love Ernie Hudson in that movie. Uh, uh, Ernie Hudson's been one of my favorite actors almost my entire lifetime because it, that goes back to Ghostbusters. Winston has always been my favorite character in Ghostbusters. And so I've just always loved Ernie Hudson. And he is immaculate in Congo. And he's the only reason why I watch that movie for the most part. I just fucking love some Ernie Hudson. 
especially kind of being British and being a badass. I fucking love it. But, but, my boy Delroy Lindo steals that entire movie. When he's sitting there and he has that scene and he just yells at Tim Curry for to stop eating his sesame cake. I'll be damned if that movie just does that scene doesn't steal that movie every fucking time. It's just amazing. And I've loved Delroy Lindo ever since I saw that. And he just constantly delivers. I mean, like we brought up Defy Bloods. He's just fucking immaculate in that movie. And he comes and he, you know, he's in this movie and he's just, you know, his rock solid self. I think this movie is kind of, and I don't know what controversies surround what or whatever like that. But this movie, to me, in a lot of ways, was a, a master class in, in, in acting and in, in casting. I didn't think anybody, at least based on performances in the movie, were miscast. I thought everybody in this movie brought exactly what each role needed. You know? Uh, yeah, and like Zazay Beats. Once again, do I really need to talk about how much I love Zaze Beats? I mean, I've loved her ever since the first time I saw her in Atlanta. And then again, as her as Domino in Deadpool 2 is fantastic. I'm not super high on Deadpool in general. And it's mainly because I don't really like Deadpool comics. But man, her as Domino was just chef's kiss perfection. And... I, I loved her in this. I loved everybody in this. And like what Justin was talking about with the, the soundtrack and, and everything like that mix of, of Western and country with hip hop. Oh, that felt so good in this movie. I don't always like it when people blend the two, but I loved every time they did that in this movie, they made it fit everything about this. And it's one of those things that to me, the, the thing that this movie proves more than anything to me is you can make any genre of movie feel fresh, feel new, be stylized. You know, you could bring any of those to any genre. It kind of just proves that there's no genre that's dead because outside of, you know, a few Westerns here and there, cowboy movies are kind of dead. I mean... You do get some things like a, a, a was it Helen Highwater or a Bone Tomahawk? Uh, mm-hmm. You know those, yeah, those are great movies, but they're few and far between. You know, I still think Kevin Costner can turn in a good western every now and then. He's fucking fantastic in them. But like this movie felt like a western made for twenty twenty one. You know, it feels like a a way to bring westerns, which. I think is a dead genre just for the degree of of the way they used to be made. I mean, do we really need to just see just 97 white people just shooting at white people dressed as Native Americans all the time? No, we don't. It's fucking tiresome. So it was great to see something like this and actually get into some of the history of how important to cowboy culture black people were. And it's something that's very much forgotten by a lot of people that traditionally speaking, when you talk about cowboys, especially like cowboys back in the day, you're mainly referring to black and Mexican people. Like those those were the real cowboys. There were actually very few uh, white people cowboying it up like that. 
back in the day. You know? It's like, so this is in a ways, while it is like a historical fiction movie, um, it's still in a lot of ways slightly more accurate than a lot of fucking cowboy movies you get. Because they actually acknowledge a big part of the actual history of cowboying that you just lose so much of. And, but also like, the the costume design in this movie is utterly fantastic too. Like all the costumes looked fucking amazing. Even when they were like, in, they are very simple, you know, it's still just Western style of clothing, but getting a little bit bolder with some of the colors, which isn't completely inaccurate. A lot of people's depictions of what they think cowboys looked like, especially back in the day with, you know, very dull colors or very solid colors. Like they're just like black or dark. Isn't completely accurate. The ability to dye clothing various colors has been around for a very long time. You know? So people getting like a green vest is not a new thing. You know, as much as we love to act like it is, it's not. Dyed clothing's been around for ages. The reason why a lot of people have that stereotypical view of what cowboys wore is because those are... uh interpretations of the wardrobe they used to use back in black and white movie and tv days because they had to keep that simple because it was just black and white so hey you're not going to spend money on clothing that had any sort of color in it plus you didn't want to choose a color that would look weird when it go black and white you know if you had somebody wearing a blue shirt and a green vest and that might all look like just one random gray blob you know so you wouldn't want to do that. You would want to make sure that the shirt looked distinct versus that. So you would put a white shirt and a black vest. So you could distinctly have the differences in the clothing on a black and white screen. And so when they would do modern interpretations of cowboy movies, what do they do? They kind of keep the same fucking color pattern. Because, you know, people were so used to that simplified color pattern. When It's like I said, not completely accurate. So I like the fact that we got to see some of that stuff and, you know, it just kind of added to like the style in general that this movie had. Uh, I even appreciated and liked the stylistic way in which they did the violence. It was like a, a very toned down Tarantino violence style, you know, where Tarantino would have like the blood going for nine hours shooting out of somebody. It would just do the, the, exaggerated splatters. I really liked that. I thought it kind of fit very well in this movie. And just kind of appreciated that. Especially when it was like the one of the... Uh, and this isn't really a spoiler. There's an earlier scene where Nat Love kills somebody. And it really kind of showcases it in that scene. And I really loved it because it kind of showed... It enhanced the, the feeling and the tone of vengeance. By exaggerating the violence a little bit in that scene with that. So I really appreciated that. So I really liked a lot of things about this uh, movie and I'd, I'd be hard pressed in general to say like, or to not say that this is, this is one of my favorite Westerns now. Like I can, I can safely say that this is one of my all time favorite Western movies now. And a yeah, lot of it too. has to do with, it does a very good job of keeping 
a lot of traditional elements that you would want in a Western film, but still modernized it and had its own sense of style and flair. But at its heart is still very much a Western movie. I mean, it is, it is the story of, you know, man wronged going out for vengeance. You don't get more Western than that. <laughs> That's the storyline for at least 172 Western movies and TV shows. <laughs> yep. And video games. I mean, is that not the story of Red Dead Redemption? I've never played that game, but just based on its name alone, I figure that's what the whole game is. <laughs> it's just cowboy vengeance shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And this movie does that. But like I said, is unique and has its own sense of self-identity. Well, like I said, sticking with the traditional Western theme. And I loved every aspect of it. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yeah. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, I absolutely recommend it. I think it is, like we've all said, it's just, it's fresh, it's original, it's excellent performances, it's great action, it's a great story, it's a great Western. I think I would agree with both of you that it is probably one of my favorite Westerns now. Um, I mean, and that's, and that is actually in general saying a lot. Cause like, I'm not really big on Westerns as it is, but this one, I was like, I will watch this movie again and again. Like there are just so many really cool things in this movie. Um, I, I just, I feel like it has a little bit of something for everybody. So I, I really appreciated how, how they told the story um, just how it's shot, the cinematography of it, the, um, the color palette of it, sort of similar to other movies lately where it just, the look of it, you know, it just has that feel about it that fits the tone of what's happening in the style of movie that it is. And yeah, everything is just so awesome with how they did everything in this movie. Like it's, it's just really hard to not find something about this movie to like. Um, even if it is just the music, because the music is amazing and it fits with every scene that they do. So yeah, um, definitely do recommend it. I'm going to give this, um, I'm going to give it 88 prison breaks from a train that's named after Chadwick Boseman out of a hundred. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah, I definitely recommend it. As far as just um, things to watch on Netflix, this is one of the things that's uh, trending right now. And I mean, I think that it was a good, entertaining time. So, you know, with all of the select, if you're looking for something to stream and looking for something to watch, I mean, this is really good. And this is, you know, I was thinking about it after I watched it and I was like, man, I think that this might be just one of the better movies I've seen this year, you know, like I think that when it's all said and done and I'm putting together a top 10 list or something like that, I mean, I don't know at the moment, but I don't know how this won't make my list. Like, I'm pretty sure it will. Like, like that's just how I feel knee jerk and we'll see what happens by the end of the year. But 
I think that this will probably wind up being one of those movies that I would put on a favorites of the year list. So that's how I feel about it. It's it's very good. And like we've all said, just very stylish. The casting was great. And it, it was a lot of fun, man. And yeah, I think it is going to wind up being one of my favorite Westerns, too. And I'm one of those people that I love Western movies, you know. Unforgiven's probably my all-time favorite. But man, I'm down for some Tombstone, some modern Western hell or high water, you know, whatever. Or something a little more traditional like Bone Tomahawk and stuff like that. You know, these are the 310 to Yuma. Like, I like these types of movies i i use i typically will watch them all you know good or bad <laughs> you know sometimes that's a i regret that but i do uh, you know but i try to watch them when i find out a western's coming out or something that is a more of a modern western the story is told like a western i try to watch them and this was something that i was on a personal wish list i wanted this kind of movie and I wanted it to be done well and for it to have been done justice. And I think that this movie delivered that for me. So I kind of got a wish list item that I talked about on this podcast some time ago. So that's pretty damn cool. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to give it. We'll go with. We'll go with 90 uh, heartwarming family stories by Treacherous Trudy. Out of a hundred. Wouldn't it be funny if after everything I said and how much I loved it and everything, I was like, but I don't recommend it. I was just thinking <laughs> about tight. that. No, I, I absolutely recommend this movie, especially because then everybody has Netflix or at least a Netflix password at this point in time. Uh, fucking go watch it. It's fucking worth it. It's amazing. It's, it's, perfectly acted i i love the the cinematography i love the soundtrack i love the you know like i said costume design acting uh script you know it's i think even so i'm 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 higher on it than both you guys with it um because i feel in a lot of ways before knowing whatever controversy justin's saying or going to talk to us about i i have very little things i did not like about this not to say it was perfect, it's just the flaws, I guess, just didn't matter as much to me. Like, so they don't really stick with me. You know? Like, I know they're there, but, like, if you're, like, name a flaw right now, I don't know if necessarily I could just name a flaw right off the top of my head, just because of you know, everything else with this movie, it just makes you not care about them as much. Which, to me, is the ultimate sign of whether or not a movie is good. Like, you know, I've gone back to there's this one thing with uh, uh, it's with a uh, Dark Knight. Uh, yeah, it's with the Dark Knight, and there's a scene in that movie that just utterly makes no sense. Oh, it's when the Joker uh, breaks into the party, you know, and throws the person off the roof, and like, or in it, like Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, and like Batman saves her, and. You know, all that shit happens, and then it just goes to the next scene. It's like, but what happened to Joker having taken over that party? Like, why is there no resolution to the idea that the Joker just took over a party, threw somebody out a window, and I guess just walked the fuck away? Because you get no resolution yeah. to that scene. 
probably watching that movie like 20 times to really realize that happened. Because the movie does such a good job with everything else that mistakes like that, your mind just doesn't really focus on them. Because this movie gives you a reason not to focus on them. And I think that that's what this movie does too, the harder they fall. It gives you enough reason to not care about those, some of those flaws or some of those mistakes here and there. You know, I always say that it's the movie's job to make me care. Because I remember I wrote a review back when we used to just write reviews before the podcast. And a lot of people attacked me for it. It was a very, very attacked uh, article. And one of the things they would say, because I said in this, I said in the review this, I didn't care about the movie. And they're like, well, that's what you're supposed to do if you're critiquing and watching a movie and all this other stuff. I'm like, no, that's not my job. My job is to not care about your movie. Your job is to make me care about your movie. It's not my job to give a fuck what you're doing on the screen. Like, it's your job to make me care. Like, if I go in invested in everything we watch, like I'm fully just invested in it, then how am I really going to critique anything? Like, it's your job to make me give a fuck or not give a fuck about your movie. And, like, with a movie like this, that's where it succeeds so much. Because it makes me invested in the movie. It makes me care about the movie. It, Like I said, it, it gives me such a, a joy to watch it that the flaws don't matter. It becomes harder to critique just because of how good it is about making itself or making you care about itself. And I think that that's the key to everything, like any movie in general, like that's where the good movies succeed. Even when it comes to narrative flaws and all this other stuff, which is typically my biggest issue with a lot of movies is where I perceive narrative flaws. Now, whether or not other people perceive or agree with my narrative flaws, that's a whole other story, but it's where I perceive the narrative flaws. That's typically my biggest issue with a lot of movies because I can't get invested in some movies and then they become very boring to me because of how they are narratively done and how pacing and stuff like that ties into it. But like this movie, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it has narrative flaws, but I don't care. So yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend this movie. Uh, It's like I said, it's, it's top tier Western. Now I'm not as big of a fan of of westerns as Jastin is apparently um but I do I do love a good western I think it's just a solid form of just very simplistic yet uh interpretable storytelling cuz like I said so many westerns are based on the same thing this is but I think it's just the good westerns are the one that take that foundation and they they make it their own you just take that base level of Western cowboy vengeance and you build your own story upon that. And I think that those are some of my favorite Westerns when it comes to a lot of that stuff. And on a side note, on a personal note, like an editor's note, if you will, uh, the remake of True Grit is infinitely better than the original. Like, let's be real. It is. It's just better. It is. Because, like, John Wayne... Regardless of any of the personal bullshit that is John Wayne, he's not a good actor. 
is literally John Wayne and everything. That motherfucker played Genghis Khan and he was still fucking John Wayne. So don't give me that shit that he's good. That motherfucker was John Wayne and every goddamn thing he did. And it makes it worse that John Wayne is a terrible fucking human being. Therefore, being John Wayne and everything makes every character he's ever played a terrible fucking human being. So. And uh, Jeff Bridges fucking, he nails it. It's a fucking amazing movie. I love the remake of True Grit. The original True Grit can fuck off. Anyway, that's my little little rant. I had to go to rant on this one just because of that. Uh, but yes, I recommend it. I'm going to give this movie uh, 95. Lakeith Stanfield just cutting somebody's legs really fast. Because it was really cool. Out of 100. Uh, spoilers? Yep. All right, Justin, what is the uh, controversy with this movie? Please, please tell me. Okay. It's more, um, I guess you could say it's more along the lines of casting controversy. But uh, so, so anyway, just to give you a little background on how I discovered this, like sometimes whenever we watch a movie and, you know, I will kind of analyze what I thought about it and kind of get my opinions of it. And then I'll be like, okay, so let me see what's, trending about the movie what are people saying about the movie did they like it and i came across a lot of uh positive reviews that um that 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 are on this so you know i came across a lot of positive reviews and then i came across a video and it was like uh zazie beats casting controversy and i was like huh what is this about so I clicked onto this video and then it sort of just started a rabbit hole where I found other articles about this and, and a bunch of different stuff. But essentially, so the character that Zazie Beats plays in this stagecoach, Mary, um, of course, you know, the movie tells us at the beginning that this is a fictional account, but it's based on real people. Well, apparently there was a controversy with her being casted as stagecoach Mary, because if you look at a picture of the actual stagecoach Mary, she's a very dark skinned, um, I guess you could say very dark skinned and she's not, she's not thin, you know, she's a bigger woman and she's very dark skinned. So there's been this kind of conversation with colorism in Hollywood and how sometimes uh, lighter skinned actors or actresses are getting roles that should go to people who are darker skinned or at least a darker skinned person would be more fitting for the role. But because um, we're, we're, we're trying to, quote unquote brighten everything up we're casting lighter tone people because we feel that they are just more because the lighter the better right when they're on screen and that's sort of been the controversy here so there's so i came across a couple of articles talking about it and stuff like that um zazie beats did 
comment on this. And she admitted that she understands that as a light skinned uh, actress, black actress, that she does have privilege when it comes to the roles that she's casted in and the roles that she sought out for different things like that. Though she felt that it was okay to take and and she did say that she had some reservations about taking this role because of the way that stagecoach Mary actually looks and should it be given to somebody else, et cetera. But ultimately where she landed was, is that this was going to be a fictional account of these characters. So did it matter as much that we looked exactly like these people? You know, this was a more of a fictional account. It's a more of a stylized Hollywood account of these of these people that actually live. So is it okay? So I was more okay with it because we were saying that it is fictional. So, you know, I don't think that that really hurts the legacy of this woman or this person that I'm playing her and everything like that. If if we're already telling the audience that it's a fictional account um, on the other side of that, when you look at some of these people, there are a lot of these people don't look like the actors that played them. You know, Jonathan Majors does not look like Nat Love and. You know, uh, Cherokee Bill doesn't look like what Keith Stanfield, etc. So there, so there are two different sides of this. There are some people that are like, eh, you're you're kind of making a big deal out of nothing. You know, none of these people looked like those people back then. It wasn't really about that. It was more of a fictional account. So you got to let it go. But there is this other argument that is being made about colorism in Hollywood. And there have been some actresses and actors who have spoken about this. I think Zendaya is one who famously talked about it and said that she has turned down many roles because she felt that it should have gone to a more darker skinned actress or something like that. And she felt like it was be wrong for her to take the role because of that. So I just thought that that was a fascinating thing that had come up about the movie. And I know that Sterling, me and you kind of sort of discussed something similar in that Rambo movie that we saw where we talked about how, you know, where we talked about, it just seemed like, like they found like the lightest, like person that they could to play that, that, that female role in that movie. I know that we have sort of, in a way touched on this and touched on yeah you know sometimes they do like to bleach some of these ethnic ethnic roles so um i thought that it was very interesting that that subject matter had come up here so you know i just thought that i would at least put that out there and say that yeah we're aware of it and um you know perhaps it is a problem i mean it is a problem i know that it's been done several times in hollywood so you know, so so I thought it was at least worth mentioning here. I had a feeling because of the way you timed when you said there's controversy with this movie. Um, I had a feeling it was going to be about Zazie Beats, and like yeah. when I was, and that's why I actually changed the way I would have normally phrased what I said because I I did make a when I was talking about like the casting in this movie, uh, 
because I had a feeling of just what it was. Because like I said, when you timed it and me sitting there thinking about it a little bit, that's why I said for the roles that, that like for the characters in the movie, like the way they were portrayed in the movie, I still think it was perfectly casted. Now, based on yeah. what you're saying, like that aspect of it should like, I guess, yeah, should be taken into account. And that's why I want to just like clarify, like, yeah, but the version of Stagecoach uh, Mary they put in this movie, like this version of it, Zaze Beats does an amazing job of acting, you know. And if that's the version of what that character you're going with, I, she's perfectly casted as that. But if you are going for accuracy, or if you are going for just in general, the non-Hollywoodification of people, then yeah, it, it, you you have the legit argument that it's that, that the character is miscast. And I do believe you're right, Justin. I think it was uh, we talked about it in Rambo, and I think we've talked about it a couple other times with some stuff. But yeah, it's it was in Rambo where the one good uh, Latinx character in the movie was insanely light skinned but then every time they wanted to show a bad one they were always dark everybody Mm -hmm. was dark you know and then i think the doctor that came for a little bit he was more on the light skinned side of things and so it's very much playing Mm -hmm. into that imagery of light skin good dark skin bad even for like a non uh african-american type of culture with stuff that they do it in almost every race I mean, yeah. Think about for how long, when it comes to like Indian actors, like from India, like especially the women. Like, think about how those tend to be the more fair skin ones in our movies and stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like that's just how it is, you know. And yeah, and I I could see that being very much an issue in this, and it's it's one of those things where I am torn because like. I completely understand that need for the representation and that need for that accuracy, even if you are going for a very fictionalized account of something where that type of accuracy still matters, you know, because it still does boil down to representation. Yeah. And it would have been kind of dope if stagecoach Mary in this was a dark skinned full figure woman, kind of like what she is in there. That would have been kind of dope, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree. And her be and her be the love interest for somebody who looks like Jonathan Majors. That would have been dope. No, you're you know? absolutely right. So I, I get what you're saying. I'm torn with that too, you know? Because Zaze Beats was so good. And I yeah. just, and I love Zaze Beats. I just love her so much. Like I can't stress that. That it's the personal conflict of I just love her. I think I, I just love the dynamic she brings to the roles that she plays. But then, man, now that I'm thinking about it, like somebody that would have been like a good, uh, that would have been cast very well in that role. And I'm trying to talk in which a way I can quickly like find her. Uh, Oh God, I'm going to butcher her name. She was in Loki and she was in Lovecraft Country. It's a 
One me. Uh, I, I was thinking was the thinking same that. person. Literally I was thinking, thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. She would have been kind of badass as that role, right? She yeah. was Ruby, right? Ruby. Yeah, she was Ruby. Yep. And she was in. She was, I was the, the Hunter B fifteen in, yep. in Loki. I was yeah. thinking that as you were talking about it, I was like, you know, she would have been awesome in that. She would have killed that role. <laughs> yeah. She would have killed it. She would have killed it, man. She would have killed it. She would have been amazing. Because she is beautiful. She's full figure. She's got darker skin, but she's got that sass that could have pulled it off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, think about her character, Ruby, in Lovecraft Country and tell me that that does not mirror a lot of Stagecoach Mary. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Singing and everything. Uh, we all have the, doing the that singing. Is crazy. <sighs> Man, Man, can we that get a crazy cut that we all that? have the same person? I know. We all <sighs> thought of the same person. That's so cool. But in part, in part of it is regency yeah. bias. I mean, Lovecraft Country wasn't that long ago, and it has Jonathan Majors, so you've already got that connection. And Loki wasn't yeah. that long time ago either. She was great. Was like, her role in Loki was smaller, but she was fucking great, though. Like, even as a smaller role, she fucking yeah. can take over a screen. She's got presence. Unmi Mosako. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard name. I'm sorry if I butchered it, too. I really promised I tried, but I'm just a, I'm a little white boy. I fuck up names. I'm sorry. <laughs> I tried. Sorry, I, though. I don't. I actually don't think I heard you say it because we were all like Ruby at the well, same time. So yeah, I, I think that was why. But, and that more or less probably covered me up, butchering the fuck out of her name. And I am sorry. I haven't heard it out loud pronounced right, so that didn't help. You know, I, that typically helps me is hearing yeah. the names. Um, but no, she mine was, could be off too. Man, yeah. Justin, why the fuck did you have to bring this up? I know that we. It's good that we bring it up because we like talking about that things and how important it is everything but now you're you're making me wish Jose beats maybe not was in this movie and i don't like that like personally Sorry. i am a or maybe a different character like no. bring her in as like a just not a historical person but just in it yeah because i don't want i, I don't not want Zaze beats in this movie I need Zazie Beats yeah. in movies. I need her in more and movies. And she did a great job. Not, not, yeah, exactly. Man, that scene where she beats the fuck out of, uh, what's her name, Trudy? And then just does that yeah. scream? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic as fuck. Just that, 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 that cathartic rage. And that scene, like, it's just brutalistic. I loved it. I mean, th- that fucking song she was singing. And just the, like the way she was like performing, like with her eyes, like acting wise, of getting across the emotion with some of that stuff. Like that's fucking fantastic. And you're and you're making me think that somebody else should be that character, Justin. I don't like it. Cause it was so good. Fuck, I think that's a better casting choice if we went the other way, though. I really uh, no. do. Especially if it's more accurate it on is. top of it. If it's more accurate yeah. and true to the person, and even if it is a fictionalized account of everything, like, I get what Zazay's saying. And I, I... And at least you have the argument that it is at least a person of color playing a person of color. That is... yeah. Of the same race. It's not like when Zoe Saldana played what's her name. Like that I know it's a person of color playing a person of color, but it's 
oh, you're getting a little extreme with that. But at least essentially it was a black woman playing a black woman. Which is sometimes better than Hollywood gives us for anything. So, yeah, it's a small victory. But once again, small victories only matter is if you keep getting victories. And I think the more important victory would have been having somebody that was more accurate playing that role, even if it is historical fiction. Because, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of like that one movie, and I don't think it was ever actually released. They filmed it and they released a trailer for it, but I don't think it was released. Where Ralph Fiennes plays Michael Jackson. Yep. So it's a white man playing that. Michael Jackson. Because, you know... Michael Jackson bleached his skin. Wow. But this movie, yeah. now, does he look a lot like the way they do the makeup and everything like that? Does he look a lot like Michael Jackson? He does. He does. But is that the right type of accuracy that you want? You know what I mean? Like, and, it, and it's yeah. a historical fiction. Like, he plays Michael Jackson in a fake scenario where it's like, it's, it's like Michael Jackson and like two other famous people from the time period going on a road trip together. And it's like, it's the same type of concept. Real people, fake scenario. But it still doesn't make it okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to equate Zazé Beats in this movie to that. Because that is not on the same page. But, I'm just saying that it's just always better to side on the side of of closer to the real thing, even with historical fiction, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and it's just something to mention and be aware of because like, and that's not to say that this movie is bad now because of that, or that now I hate this movie because that happened or anything like that. Like, but I do think it's, it's just good to be aware. And it's just that reminder that we still got a ways to go. Even in a movie like this, where this is like a champion of representation, and it's a Western with with a predominantly black cast, and it's got Western and hip hop all over it, and it's very stylish to to you know, it, it's got black style all over it with just the way the dialogue is and the way, um, like we talked about, the way it's shot the the kind of swagger that this movie has. This movie has a real black swagger to it. but it, And all of that is great stuff. But it still shows kind of like um In the Heights, you know, when we talked about that. We still could still be more diverse. We still could have more representation. And I hope that we we do start seeing those movies where you do have a full figure woman who is the love interest for somebody that looks like Jonathan Majors and she's just as bad as shooting, doing everything and is the apple of that man's eye. You know, it, you know, it would be nice to see that, too. So it yep. is something to be aware of. And it is something to say, you know there's still more we could do even though this is moving in the right direction yep that's the one trope that's still never been broken so yeah you're right and, yeah and I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up in the heights because that's honestly when you start talking about that i was like it's in the heights all over again where it's so diverse yet it just shows that diversity and representation isn't 
like a you're there it's done type of thing mm-hmm. it's still there's always work to be done there's always you always have to strive to be better even, even with the best intentions you have to strive to be better you can't be complacent you know you just can't accept the status quo you have to constantly work and care I think that's one of the biggest things is you have to act actively care about it. If it's ever going to have a chance of succeeding. But I, and as, and as much as that is like a, a, an important aspect of it, I will say this, these last two movies, man, we did get some diversity in these last two, this, this one in, in the Eternals. Yeah. We're still not there and we're, but it's still nice to see, though. It's yeah, still nice definitely. But, man, I just, I knew it as soon as, like, as when, like, when you brought it up and I just, like, thought about where you brought it up and what you were talking about. I was like, fuck, I know what this is going to be, isn't it? Man. Like I said, Justin, how dare you make me think Zaze Beats was miscast. I just, that hurts. That physically hurts me to have that thought. That Zaze Beats was miscast. Oh, but God, we we did think of somebody that would have been so fucking good, though. I know. I'm not going to get over this. it's just that, too. I'm not going to get over this. that. I know it's the gut blow that we all thought of the same person who would have killed it. Also, it's that it's the even th- that just makes it even more like, oh, uh, you know, see, do you know what other episode we had this talk about? It was in Lovecraft Country because that was the theme of the conflict between her and her sister. Was the fact mm. that she was darker skinned compared to her sister. Yeah, that's another episode we talked about the same aspect of it. And it's just funny that that also I think is part of the reason why we also mentally jump to that character because the real life controversy fits the conflict that was a core of the relationship tenant in the mo- in the show. Fuck, man! If we all hadn't named the same person, I don't think I would be as torn as I am right now. <laughs> Like, this is, I'm shook. It was an immediate reaction to, we were all like, yep, that's the one. That's the one I just thought of. (laughs) I'm shooketh. Man. Oh, all right, let's, we have to move on. We do have to talk about the rest of this movie. Um, Yes. But yeah, oh. Keith Stanfield in this You're movie. You're having a moment. I am. I, I this is very, very shaking to my core. Um, but Lakeith Stanfield in this movie, to me, he shined so much. And and I know there's bias with that because I think Lakeith shines in everything. I think he's just the shiniest of shiny things ever. Yeah. But fuck, I, they, I don't know if it's the way he interprets characters or it's the way people write characters and then hope they cast him. Or what it is, but like he does have a similar theme to some of his characters, and it might be just the way he portrays it because 
of naturally how he is, but man, I fucking loved him in this movie as a, what's his name? Uh, Cherokee Bill. God, I loved him in this movie. Yeah, this might be one of my favorite roles of his. Yeah, he was great. Like, he was so philosophical and all these things, but then at the same time, like, he was very menacing. He was very menacing. Yeah. Like, I loved that aspect of him. And it was also, it was great to see Regina King as a villain. She might have been a mm-hmm. villain in something else, I don't know, but seeing her play that type, I mean, all the villains in this movie did so good at being menacing, but also have, like, elements to her, like, or to their characters. Like, especially the reveal at the end of this movie you very much understand where Rufus is coming from with a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, do I, does it completely justify his actions? Not necessarily, but at the same time, like it adds that sympathy. And then the way Idris Elba like milks that scene. God, it was, where oh, you see that look that was on a his great face scene. of, of, it was like a weird combination of, heartbreak and righteousness and vindication and sorrow and all these things all at once. Like this man was able to put so many emotions on his face at one time. It was just absurd. Like I have problems feeling any emotions and this man put four on his face at one time. I don't know how that's possible. But he did. And then just to make that scene even that much better. Jonathan Majors fucking reciprocates it. Yep. Right back at him. You know, it's, it's heartbreak. It's vengeance. It's, it's bewilderment. It's, it's the right compliment to it. And I'm like, wait, how do you have two people showing four emotions on their face at the same time? I thought it was crazy that you had one and Jonathan Majors just fucking does it back. Like Jonathan Majors is easily becoming one of my favorite actors right now because like I said, my first experience with him was into five bloods a year and a half ago. And this man went from a side ensemble character and doing an amazing job at that. To being a bona fide, straight up leading man in a year and a half? I mean, he did it even in less time than that because he solidified that or his ability to do that in Lovecraft Country. But then this goes and shows Lovecraft Country ain't a fluke. This man Mm -hmm. has those chops and he can go up against seasoned acting veterans. I mean, like I said, he holds his own into five bloods with, with just all kinds of older, amazing actors in that movie. And then you have him in this movie, holding his own with Regina King, Idris Elba, Delroy Lindo. Like this movie, this man's got it. Like whatever it is, this man has it. Yeah. Just in droves. Yep. 
yeah, that scene too, like at the end of that scene when he's like, when he's shooting the gun and like the bullets are out, but he's still like shooting. That was a heartbreaking, but amazing scene. Yeah. And and then you like balance that up against the scene when he goes and robs the bank and he's got that Mm -hmm. charm to him, you know, and he's, he's kind of haphazard about it a little bit aloof. And then like you balance that against like the scene you're talking about, Heather. I mean, the, the emotional range that this man shows in this, this movie alone is something that some actors strive for their entire career. I mean, this man shows more emotion in this movie than John Wayne does in his entire acting career. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. You know, I mean, oh, and Lakeith Stanfield, he like, he, he stands as like, like I said, I think Lakeith Stanfield's like top tier acting ability. And this man's like, once again, toe to toe with him. Like Jonathan Majors at no point is ever overshadowed in this movie when he could have very easily been so, and you couldn't necessarily fault him for being overshadowed with the, 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 the acting quality in this movie, you know, you wouldn't knock Jonathan majors for being overshadowed in this movie when his counterpoints in a lot of the movie are Regina King, the Stanfield, Idris Elba or Delroy Lindo. Like you couldn't, you would you wouldn't fault him for being overshadowed by those people. They're all top tier actors. Yep. But at no point was he. And then that makes me think of somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio, who is considered one of the greaters, the greater actors in our generation. And I look at his career, especially whenever it was obvious he was striving to get that best actor. And it made me think about how many movies that man ended up being overshadowed in. And we never faulted him for it. You know, catch me if you can. He's overshadowed yeah. by Tom Hanks. Uh, Gangs of New York, he's overshadowed by fucking uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even in uh, like The Departed, he's overshadowed at times by like Matt Damon. And Mark Wahlberg a little bit. Like, I know Mark Wahlberg's more or less playing Mark Wahlberg, but in a movie set in Boston, there's worse choices than having Mark Boston Wahlberg playing a Boston person, you know? (laughs) So, you know, he's slightly overshadowed at times in that movie. He's overshadowed by Jack Nicholson, not because Jack Nicholson is doing a great, like, you know, Irish Bostonian accent or anything, but just the sheer gravitas that is Jack Nicholson. You know, Jack Nicholson just completely phones in that performance in that movie because, you know, he's supposed to be this, like, larger-than-life Bostonian mob boss, and he sounds like a guy from L.A. But it's still Jack Nicholson. The man can dominate a screen. And he overshadows Leo a little bit in that. And like, so, so much of Leo's career was spent getting overshadowed by, granted, by amazing actors for the most part, you know, by people that just are naturally who we kind of gravitate to in movies. And then you look at Jonathan Majors in this movie, and he's not 
Yep. And so I'm just like that much more excited about where this man's career is going to go because I see a lot of similarities between him and Leo. And I think he's above Leo where Leo was at this point. I think this man has just no limit to what he would, he can possibly achieve in acting just based on where he is now. Like, I honestly believe, and I don't know for what, but I honestly believe this man will win a Best Actor uh, Academy Award in the next five years. I can't tell you for what role, but I I think he's going to get one. I just, uh, to me, I see it as a certainty. He's young, he's, he's, he's attractive, and he's just got all the acting ability in the world. He has exactly what you want for a best actor. Like, like I said, he's, he's got a look Hollywood loves and he just, he's got it. So that is my bold prediction. Just based on this movie, this man will win an Academy Award for best actor, not supporting actor, best actor within the next five years. I just, I don't see how he couldn't. Yeah. And I do like, I kind of have to stress it again. Like I did with, um, Judas and the Black Messiah about how like these actors are like younger than us. And that's very sad for me. <laughs> like, um, I mean, Lakeith Stanfield is like barely 30, you know? And like, what? I think Jonathan Wait, is like early thirties. What? Yeah. Lakeith Stanfield is like 30 years old. Fuck off Lakeith. God damn you. <laughs> and I think I actually just looked it up. Jonathan Majors is 32. Yeah, I'm like, what? Still what is happening? Years younger than me. And Zazie Beats is 30. Like, everybody in this, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, your careers are insane, and it's just weird to think that they're younger. <laughs> Ugh. What have I done with my life? Just nothing. Just nothing. Right, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, I have amounted to nothing I wanted at this time in life. But, uh But yeah, they have it, though, so... I mean, can't really, you know, can't hate the player, just got to hate the game. But, uh, what about you guys? Uh, Heather, what are your, some of your spoilery thoughts? I, I know I really didn't talk about any spoilers. I didn't really spoil anything. I didn't even say what the twist was at the end. I just said during the twist, there was this happening. I never even said what the twist was, and it's spoilers. Go for it. No, no, go ahead. You guys go. Like, I'm just pointing out that, like, I just wasted my entire spoiler section. Not really spoiling a goddamn thing. Anyway, uh, Heather, go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really hard to find something in this movie that is not right. (laughs) Like, I think if my, if I have a, if I do have a problem with the movie, I think my biggest issue would maybe be the fact that like at the end when, you know, I guess I'll say it, the big twist of it is that um, Idris Elba and uh, Jonathan Majors, their characters are apparently brothers because of the dad who had an affair or no, the dad who ran out and left Rufus Buck and then started a new family, which was Nat Love and his mom. 
So it, it's that's the twist to it, and you don't see it coming. I didn't see it coming anyway. But like, I, I think my if I have to have like a big issue with this movie, I guess it would be that like as much as I loved how that scene went down and what they did to unfold everything with that, I just feel like he he went all this way and he did all these things to get to this point. And then he just decided to not even really try to fight much against that love when he was up against him. And I get the point of it. Like, I mean, it, it makes sense what they did with it, but I just feel like it almost felt like, you know, and, and maybe he was just seeing how much like was happening around him with his crew and the people that were on his side and how they were just being destroyed and killed. And maybe he decided, you know what? I'm not going to be able to win this. I don't know. It's possible. But I just feel like it almost seemed like he gave up completely at the end, right when it was at that point when you're just like, we're going to have to have this like toe to toe situation between us, you know? Um, again, that's being nitpicky because what they did with it, I think was great. You know, it was just more of like a, oh, well, I guess just based off of who Rufus Buck was in this movie, that's not what I expected them to do with that. Um, and also just sort of at the beginning, you don't really see, a lot of <laughs> Idris Elba's face or anything like that at the beginning when he comes to Nat Love's home when he's a boy and he kills the dad. But um, I'm just kind of like, Idris Elba looks exactly the same age in that scene from what you do see as he does, <laughs> like, however many years later it is. So that was really my only two things that stood out to me. is like, mm, that probably could have been done a little bit better. But um that's honestly being nitpicky because it's such a good movie and there's really not anything I would technically change about how they did anything with it. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I mean, they just had some really great moments. Like I agree, Sterling, like Lakeith was excellent. Like he was just very dynamic with everything he did. Like he was very methodical with what he would say and just his timing of when he would do things And that is sort of what made him more menacing is just doing that, (laughs) you know, and like, um, you know, just like the whole, the train scene when he's, you know, trying to quote unquote negotiate and like get into the room where Rufus was so they could get him out. Like he's, you know, he's a smooth talker and he's doing all these things, but he's also very menacing in everything he's saying. And even when he's up against, um, Beckworth, the the kid who thinks he's the fastest, you know, gun drawer in the land, like, you know, he that kid so badly wanted to be up against him and he was just like, You're going about this all wrong. And like the whole thing that he said to him and that kind of like wisdom bomb that he dropped on like why he knew he was gonna beat him. (laughs) And I will say, as much as this movie isn't necessarily predictable, that part was. It was very clear that Beckworth was going to die. And that he was going to die by Cherokee Bill. Um, but, you know, like, I just feel like the whole, just his whole character. Yeah. Just what he brings to it, how he delivers lines, even his, you know, facial expressions and things when he's saying things. I agree. He was so great in this. And I, I've always liked him, too. But for whatever reason, this is one of my favorite roles that I've seen Lakeith do. Um Zazie Beats, I am not as familiar with her work as um, you guys might be, or at least Sterling, but um, 
I, I've what I have seen, I'm good with. Like I liked her in Atlanta, um, in the episodes that I've seen. You know, I um, I didn't think that she was the worst thing about the Joker movie. <laughs> um, you know, I just I I I do see the appeal. She has this very like charismatic and very charming way about her, and she's a great actress. She's so great, and Regina King. I just I loved seeing her as a villain. There was. Yeah, there was just something really like her confidence in that role and just how she was able to just control everyone and everything going on around her and her menacing abilities. <laughs> like when she is telling that story to um stagecoach Mary about her sister and like that was menacing and amazing and like just every everything they did they're setting up these characters and how you should feel about them. Um, and even though they are doing it where you're like, Oh, that's a bad person. You do still get those elements of like in their own eyes and in their own mind and in their group of, you know, family that they would call, they aren't the bad guys. Like they're just like, I would do anything for you. I would die for you. I would, whatever you want, I'm there for you. I am loyal. And those are just qualities that you see and you like sympathize with them. And it's just so amazing how they do this and credit to how they wrote the characters. But also, again, you have to say credit to every actor in it. But I think, um, I mean, and I also loved Delroy Lindo, like (laughs) just as awesome, like joining them. And then I loved the scene when he is going through the town and like, just looking straight ahead the entire time, but just completely destroying and shooting everything to his left and right. (laughs) It was just so amazing. I loved that scene. Um, And then I loved the fight between um, Regina King and Zazie Beetz. I thought that was a really well done fight. Um, It just, I, there's just so many great things about how they did this and and this but the story is good like it's not just one of those movies where the performances carry the whole thing definitely a huge part of it but the story itself and the way everything progresses on its own was just really good in my opinion uh definitely elevated the material with the actors that they had but yeah it's you're just you're going to be really hard pressed to find something in this movie that just wasn't done really well um, yeah, and I just, yeah, Jonathan Majors, I just don't understand it. Like, again, that scene at the end when he just, like, he's almost in disbelief. He doesn't want to believe what Rufus Buck is saying. He doesn't, you know, want to acknowledge it. He doesn't want him to be right. And basically it's, and maybe, you know what, now that I'm talking about it, maybe that's why Rufus Buck did it too, because he felt like I might not be able to win this gunfight with him but I will be in his head forever for what I've told him. So that's possible too. Like maybe that was the whole point of why he did what he did with telling him that at the end and just allowing him to kill him, you know? Um, But just that scene where there's just that anger and that rage and he shoots him, but he's also like, he's, he, you just, you see this sense of hesitation. And then right after the hesitation, He's just so angry at what he's just learned and everything that's happened that he just continues to try and shoot Rufus Buck after he's already dead and after he has no bullets. 
And something about how he did that scene was so like, I don't know, it just draws you in. Like, you're just like, man, this guy is giving it everything he has. But in the story of this character and what's happening, it's like, I get it. (laughs) Like, I totally get why he is reacting that way. And I just really love those attention to details that they do with the characters and their reactions and their emotions and just what they do, like everything, the choices they make, they all just make sense um, for who they are, you know? And I just really, I, I was just really floored by how, how much I loved this movie because I was just like, man, <laughs> like every scene that happened, I'm like, what's happening next? You know, it was nonstop, but it wasn't like, pointless you know it wasn't like oh this scene's in here just for no reason like every every moment of the movie felt like it had a specific purpose and that's what i appreciated a lot about it um and yeah i think um cuffy i loved the character character of cuffy who's i think she said her name her real name was kathy williams um but yeah so like she was great you know, like just really also just really every emotion on her face and just the, the the different extremes that she had to play as Cuffy. And I, I do love the fact that at the end of it all, you know, she was this very, like, I'm not going to strut around like my talent and how good I am with gun draws, but she's the one that beat Cherokee bill in the end. And I thought that was a really great, moment as well um yeah i just everything that they did with this was really like i love the direction they took with it it was just so great like i i can't really think of any other specific issues i would say that i have with it off the top of my head kind of like what you said sterling where you're like any flaws it had you don't notice them because of how good everything as a whole was with this movie and that's really how i feel about it too so yeah, that's, um, just to add, yeah, a couple more things about it. That's, those were the things for me that stood out, the things that I enjoyed about it. And, you know, if I have to be nitpicky, there were just a couple of things, but nothing that took away from anything. And it didn't make me feel like this is definitely what you should have done. It just was kind of like, oh, that's not the choice I thought they would make with how they ended this, the storyline. But again, the unexpected kind of made it really like, oh, okay, this is even more interesting because <laughs> you did some stuff that I didn't think you were going to do with it. So, um, but yeah, it just everything about it was so, just so well done all around. Uh, what about you, Justin? Yeah, so um, you guys definitely talked about a lot of uh, good points with this film. And uh, just to kind of go into some things that, um, that that stood out to me also, I really love that scene with Regina King um, where she's telling stagecoach Mary the story about her and her sister. I thought that that was that that was just so well done on so many levels because she's talking about her sister and this um bully named hope and, and and so like i thought that that was really cool how she's talking about how you know that that happened to her sister and everything hope hurt her sister through an apple at her and made a trip or whatever and her sister had this disease and you know eventually 
um, you know, just that whole story about the dad beating her because she didn't protect her sister. And then later they found that little girl named Hope dead and she was her throat was slit with a knife. And then all the while she's telling this story, the camera just keeps going from stagecoach Mary looking at her and then looking down at this knife that she's using to peel that apple. And just that whole idea that was that the knife is that the knife that was used <laughs> to kill this little girl. You know, she still has that on her. Like th- there was just a lot of cool stuff like that. And then at the end of it, when she goes hope, you know, regardless of how brave you are, the result's going to be just like that story. Hope must die. So I, I just thought that that was very cool. I like the double meaning there. I like the story to kind of get into what kind of person um, Treacherous Trudy is. Um, and so all of that just really worked for me. And I thought that Regina King just was great in that scene. So that was just really a scene that stood out to me. And just some other stuff like, um, you know, we've already kind of talked about that scene um, at the end where the big reveal of Idris Elba and everything like that. But man, what a great way to end this, you know, for it to be about this whole tale about getting revenge and then to kind of find out that there was this other path for vengeance that we didn't know about. And and like, I just think that in a movie like this, for it to have that, that was very interesting. That was innovative. And that was very cool to kind of see that. And it helped to sum up what Rufus, Buck's character was doing it made you understood his motivations you understood why he didn't kill um Nat Love when certain chances arrived and different things like that like that was just such a great way to explain kind of what this villain was doing and just some of that that he was saying about how the ultimate revenge was letting you live And you became exactly what our father was running away from. I mean, all of that was just so well done. And like I said, the dialogue is just something that really stands out in this. Like, you never just felt like there was a wasted line or that there always just seemed to be a point to what someone was saying. Or even when there was banter back and forth, it was entertaining banter. And different things like that. Like, I also love the scene with uh, Lakeith's character, Cherokee. Um, and, um, man, who, the other actor that played, like, the the other fast gun. Um, Are you talking about Buckworth? Out, or the character Buckworth? Yes, Beck. Yeah, Jim Beckworth. Yeah, yeah, R.J. Silas character. Yeah, yeah Jim Beckworth. Beckworth. But, but, yeah, that, but even that back and forth. Whenever they were talking about when he was talking to him and he was like, you know, the, you know, it's all about and and like the Beckworth character was something to the effect of it's all about who's the fastest, who's faster on the trigger. And then and then I just love how uh, (laughs) Cherokee uh, Bill was like, no, what 
matters is who's alive or who's dead. Like, like, you know, I just love that kind of dichotomy with those two. You know, uh, you could just, even with little dialogues and dialogue scenes like that, you could just tell that Lakeith was, his character, Cherokee, was more of this by any means necessary kind of the the ends sort of justify the means and everything like that kind of character you know very practical and like sterling said menacing in his approach and meanwhile you kind of have this other person who kind of play by the more fair code who's the fastest gun whoever can draw the fastest is the best and he's more about proving that he's the fastest and most talented and you know, Cherokee Bill is more or less like, well, what is the best way for me to survive? And whether that's shooting you in the back or shooting you, you know, and he and he even talked about at the beginning of the movie, how he was like, you know, I really don't like violence. Like, like he sort of painted himself at the beginning. It's like this person who had this code and like he doesn't really like violence and things like that. But what's cool about it is that when you get to more the end of this movie, you sort of find out that is it the violence necessarily that he doesn't like, but it's it's like it, it was more of a practical type of thing. It's not like I don't like violence because it makes me queasy or I've got this sort of moral fiber about it to where I don't like to hurt people, but it's more like I don't like violence because it's not practical to me. That's how it came off to me. I mean, I will use violence, but I'm not going to sit here straight up and do some sort of shooting or whatever unless I have to. I'd much rather just cap you in the back or while you're counting, shoot you in the face before you shoot me. You know, I think that's a very good point, Justin, because it's not that he's opposed to killing. It's the whole idea of violence as in that could be a struggle that could be a fist fight that could be you know struggling over a knife that could be a gun fight where somebody else is shooting at you he's not opposed to killing you he's just opposed to the idea of it being a struggle if you will like you said he'd much yeah. rather just he just wants you dead he doesn't exactly want it to be a thing you know he doesn't really care about the act of the quick draw and the honor of it and all this other stuff. I like the fact that he gets called out a couple of times where, you know, he's seems honorable, but you know, whenever he's got Nat love dead to rights from behind and Nat love goes really from behind. And then with that other guy, he, when he does just come up behind him and just shoots him in the back. And then, you know, he's like, no, don't do this. Just die. Like, don't make it anything else. Just die. That's all I want. Yeah. It's for you to be dead. Yeah. 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 Like, I think just it's this, that, you know, that's. Oh, just gonna say it's, it's like that subtle distinction of, like you said, it's not opposed to murder, not opposed to killing people. It's just that I'm opposed to violence because violence is complicated. Violence is, you know, unknowns. There's factors. There's other things. Mm-hmm. There may be factors that I can't control, and I'd rather just know I'm going to live. He doesn't have a romanticized, I guess you could say, view 
of violence or honor, like you were saying, or being the quickest draw or being the the best fighter or anything like that. All of those kinds of like romanticized things about the violence or like the kind of more things where people like, you know, I'm the I'm the better man, you know, may the best man win and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't have that, (laughs) you know, everything, you know, to him, violence is just a means to an end. And if I have to kill you, if I have to use violence, what is the most practical, easiest way that I can live? You know, it's the mark of a great heel, so to speak, you know? (laughs) Well, it's, I like the fact of it all of, you know, he might not be the quickest draw in the end of the movie or whatever or anything like that. And it's almost like the mythos of him being the quickest draw is more actually around the fact that he's more probably accurately the quickest killer. Yeah. He doesn't care if it's a fair fight gun draw. He just cares if he kills you quicker than you can try to kill him. That's ultimately what it boils down to. You can be the faster draw, but if he just kills you because you're trying to be the fastest draw, in a way, he's accurate when he says the only thing that really matters is if you, you know, live. Because by default, are you not the quicker draw if you're the one alive? Like, by default, the other guy's dead. He cannot have a quicker draw than you at that point. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the ultimate determining factor. He is not wrong. Because uh, Beckworth, or whatever his name was, could have been the faster draw, but he's dead. So he's in no way, shape, or form capable of being a quicker draw at that point. He's uh, dead. So, and I do like the fact that he called out that he was just, you know, people like you, I just shoot through the cheek so you stop talking. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. I did appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. So that character was cool. He was definitely one of the standout characters and like and like we're saying you know all of that analysis that you can pull from this character and not and he didn't have to explain that you know i didn't need a flashback you know not a lot of that was said it was just implied a lot of it was just pinpoint accurate dialogue that just implied all of those things and then just of course complemented with the acting that Lakeith was doing so I just thought that that was great um I also thought that it was very cool that um oh go ahead no just before you go on I think one reason why you might really like that character though Justin is the fact that he's kind of his character in this movie is the living embodiment of show don't tell like yeah that guy was talking about being the quickest draw and then Lakeith Stanfield just killed him he's like yeah but I do it. So it's kind of like your yep. philosophy with movies. This character is the character equivalent of show. Don't tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. So that's a, that's another great point. And so, yeah, that's just another reason why that character really stood out to me. And uh, Delroy Lindo, though, you know, I don't, look at his performance as anything like spellbound. I mean, there were definitely other people who had like better overall performances, like just based on material and stuff like that. 
But I just wanted to give him a shout out because I thought that he was a badass uh, Bass Reeves. And I like how he was still a badass. You know, he was like that veteran uh, officer um, or sheriff and everything. But at the same time, you know, he understood like he had a very a way about him about like an understanding of who the good and bad guys were. Uh, I like the uh, attempted ruse to get um, Nat Love to to where he kind of quote unquote captured Nat Love, and the idea was to get um, was to get Nat Love away from there so that they could go after Rufus Buck. But then you know the rest of the crew members and Stagecoach Mary was like, "Yeah, I saw right through that. I knew what y'all were trying to do." So I like the dynamic that he had with all of them. And then that ending scene, man, he was awesome. So I was hoping that that character would at least be raw. And he was raw. Like, I'm glad they really did that character justice. Even though he wasn't like the main character, I did like his importance to the plot. And I liked how they, I thought that they paid a great homage to Bass Reeves and just like how good he was, how, uh, how effective of a survivor he was. And I mean, that guy just uh, was legendary for how many criminals he killed, brought in, brought to justice, et cetera, et cetera, as a bounty hunter and everything. So I thought that the, that, that he was done justice, you know, the, the kid, the fictionalized version of the character here, um, I think, did some of those legends justice. So I hope that this is something where, you know, you read, you see these characters on screen or these people that existed and you go, man, I want to know more about them or read about them or something like that. I hope that this piques people's interest to find out more about these people if you didn't know about them. So I just wanted to give a kudos to that uh, performance and how they portrayed uh, Bass Reeves in this movie. Um, well, but, but with yeah, that, I mean, I mean, is he oh, the only ahead. character in the final battle that takes no damage? Yeah, I think so. I don't I think so. It's yeah, Cuffy, he doesn't take a single hit, man. Cuffy may not either, but I, th- I think Cuffy does a little bit, like at least gets hit. I don't even remember him getting hit by a punch. Like, no, nah, man, he flawless victories that entire last battle. Like, yeah, everyone just else takes damage swiftly. And it was kind of what we said about that movie. Um, oh man, what what is the name of that movie? We just we watched it recently with. Um, Are you talking oh about gosh. nobody? I, yes, nobody. Um, and uh, how his father was in that. Um, oh yes, the Christopher Lloyd character. It's fucking yeah, the fantastic. Christopher Lloyd character. Yeah, how he would just sort of. Like we we got the sense in that movie that even though he was in the action scenes and he wasn't getting hit, it was because he was smarter or quicker than people or he just knew where to move or just being such a veteran. He had an innate sense of where people were hiding and where people were and would shoot them before they could get to him. You know, he was very good about tracking movement and then hiding. It wasn't like he was just out in the open, spinning it around in a circle, shooting everybody. You know, it was just, 
it, it was just very practical. He wasn't dodging bullets like Neo or nothing. He was hiding behind things. He would he would wait. He would pick and choose his times, and then two people would be two snipers would be looking for people, and he would just bow bow and just cap them both. Then he'd quickly go behind a stagecoach or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just very. You know, it seemed he seemed like a veteran. You know, it, yeah. he wasn't f- jumping and flipping or moving with incredible speed. There weren't any whoosh sounds when he was moving. You know, it was just a veteran who understands this, who's been in these kinds of things before and understands how to survive. That's what it felt like in those it's scenes. A crafty, tactical veteran. Yeah. He totally felt like that so i just thought that and even some of the dialogue was like that how he was like you know if you really think that she's going to be spared then you're crazy or you know he would say things constantly where the characters would be thinking something and then he would kind of bring logic to it or say i wouldn't do that if i were you so i just thought that that character he was portrayed very well Well, you know one of the aspects i loved of him was the fact that any time that he called Rufus Buck the devil, he would constantly say that man's not the devil. He's just a man. Like, yeah, I loved that aspect of it, of everybody else would believe in the lore or whatever, and he would not fall into that trap. And it, it, it even shows mentally yeah. where he's at compared to the other characters just in general, like, you know, he's way more crafty and technical and experienced, and it shows that in the final scene, but just in in life, in this, the way that these people live their lives and stuff like that, it shows how long he's been around, you know? You don't go in thinking you're fighting the devil, because then the, per- the devil has an upper hand, because you're thinking this is supernatural, this is other, this is not human, you know? This is something, you know... That you have to strive to beat because they're unbeatable in a way. And he's like, no, he's just a man. Like, go into it thinking he's a man because you can beat a man. Go in thinking you can win. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And yeah, that was something big about his character. He was big on that. He's not the devil. You know, I I know, you know, I know who he is, you know, like, like, you're right. Right about that point. And, um, and yeah, I think that that's just, uh, overall, I just feel that they did just such a great job. Like if Bass Reeves wasn't going to be the main character, I really thought that they did him justice. And I think that it was a very fitting performance from Delroy Lindo and I I just was very happy with the placement of Bass Reeves in this. So, you know, that's just the one of of these people. He is the one that I know the most about and I was just fascinated with that story since I found out that that person existed. So, it was nice to see that person uh not only portrayed here but done justice and portrayed well in this movie so i thought that that was great um i guess the only other thing i wanted to talk about is just um and really the only like flaw i feel that maybe this movie has and i mean putting and and a flaw is kind of a loose term just because i just wanted more um i just wanted to know more about some of the characters 
Like, I think that what I got from the main characters was enough. Like, all of that from Rufus and um, Cherokee Bill and all of them, I, I definitely got enough of them. The only thing I felt like I needed was just, there were just some characters where it was like, okay, well, this guy, um, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's in the gang and he's going to be a sniper and he's going to get shot and that's it. Or this person is, you know, there were definitely some characters where I was just fascinated by everybody's performance. So I just wanted to know more about them. And I get it that this had a lot of characters. So you want to concentrate at least on the ones that are going to carry the story. So I get that. And the movie was already over two hours. I'm, I don't know if I'm asking for more time necessarily, but I just wish that there was a way to learn more about some of the characters or when a character is describing a story, you know, I say all the time, show don't tell if I could have seen some more of those things play out or seen what it was like for, um, for Regina King's character when Idris Elba was gone, you know, um, you know, any of those things, if I could have seen, um, some, a little bit of, um, Matt loves obsession with finding these people and maybe some of the neglect that stagecoach Mary must've felt while he was doing all of these things and going about all these activities. You know, there were a lot of stories that were described, but I just wish I had seen some more of those things play out. I just think that, you know, it, if anything, it would have just given the actors more scenes and more to do. So I would have enjoyed it because I enjoyed all the performances. And just so there were certain characters like that, um, like the character that we're talking about that killed stagecoach Bill. I, I wanted to know more about her. You know, I mean, I thought she was cool. Her scenes were good. I liked what happened with her at the end, but you know, I just wanted more. So I think that that's really my only complaint is that everybody did such a good job. I just wanted more of them. And I know that a lot with a lot of Westerns, though, and this is just kind of in defense of the film. You know, I know that in a lot of Westerns and stuff like that, there is a lot of mystique to characters that are written in Westerns and you don't want to know everything. And sometimes things are withheld from you on purpose because it sort of adds to that Western mystique of the character. So I get why I get why probably some of those decisions were made. But again, you know, when you have these actors and they're giving amazing performances, it just makes me want more. So, I mean, that would probably be the only thing that I could say really, as far as what something that I just wanted more of. So basically it should also be a TV show <laughs> where you get an episode on each character. Cause that would be kind of cool too. I that would have be been cool. Yeah. But this wasn't as egregious as something like Eternals <laughs> where you just felt like you got hardly anything about yeah. the characters. It, it was definitely not that, you know, this was just, it, it was just a few things here and there. Where I was like, man, I wish I could have seen some more of that. Or, Oh man, I wish I could have seen what growing up must have been like for him or oh man i wish i could have seen some early parts of their relationship so that i can understand why they have such care for each other just little things like that man but and you are and you are right 
And you're right too, because I, with Cuffy, I, I was curious too, because the scene when she said that her, her real name was Kathy Williams, I was like, that sounds so familiar. And then I looked it up and yeah, it's Kathy Williams was the first, um, black female to serve in the army and she served in the army posing as a man. So that's why that sounded familiar to me, but yeah, so that would have been a really cool story to even hear more about or, you know what I mean? So I, that's why I really appreciate what they did with that character in this. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that they oh, kind of cool. added. I did not know that they added that that character trait where, you know, in a lot of ways, for most of this movie, she was uh, pretending to be a man in this in this story, which I liked the mm-hmm. fact that like a only one person didn't realize that, and b they also just didn't care, you know, like <laughs> yeah, 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 it wasn't a factor with some of that stuff, especially when, you know, what's his name? Beckworth was like, Oh, I was wondering why I was being attracted to a man. Everybody's like, yeah, everybody else was like, yeah, you're the only one. Cause we all knew we just <laughs> we didn't <knew>. care. <laughs> like, cause that wasn't important, which to me was a slight nod at like trans, uh, like accepting of trans people and stuff like that. To me, that's at least how, I felt like they portrayed part of that in the movie was just that, you know, ideally that's the way it should be. You know, if they want to be treated like a male and they were biologically female and they wanted to be treated like a male, that that's fine. Just treat them how they want to be treated. Notice how it doesn't really affect anything. Like, so I liked that aspect of the way they portrayed that part because that's at least how it came across to me. And I appreciated it and thought that was nice. Yeah. I didn't catch that, but yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that had to have been. Um, some of that had to have been there because, yeah, there definitely was some acceptance of her despite that. So, yeah, I think you could be right about that. Yeah. I just don't see in 2021 having something like that in a movie and it not be a nod to that. You know? Like, yeah, I just, that's yeah. what just makes sense to me at this point. And if not, well, then they accidentally made me think that. And so I felt nice about it. Um, so it's whatever on that, I suppose. Uh, one of the things, I mean, like I, you, you brought up the length of this movie, Justin, at two hours and 19 minutes. And I know I'm the one that harps on movie length more than anything. But God, when it's a good movie, you just don't care, do you? You don't? Right. No. no. I didn't give a fuck that this was two hours and 20 minutes. Because I was engrossed the whole time. You know? Like, yep. when you engross me I in didn't your think movie, anything should be taken out. Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm not going to feel like your movie's too long because I'm engaged in it. You know? It's just some movies are smart and they realize that their premise or their theme or whatever is only engaging for a short amount of time. So they play the smart card and only go for an hour and a half, you know, cause it's like you go for an hour and 45 or two hours. You then feel like it's a half an hour too long. 
because you're like, yeah, you lost me. But like this, it's just, it's engaging. It's, it's so well paced. Like it ebbs and flows with action and non-action and all these things. And they just do such a good job of giving it that right balance with pace and structure and everything like that, that it doesn't feel like it's two hours and 20 minutes long. Because most of the time you get over two hours, I start getting a little antsy just because I'm like, does it really need to keep going? (laughs) Because like over two hours, I start end up getting to the point to like, say it's two and a half hours long. Like for 30 minutes, I keep, I start sometimes thinking before, you know, as the movie's wrapping up and all this other stuff, I start thinking, what could you have taken out? Because it didn't need to be this long, you know? Like, especially when you're starting to see how ultimately the whole story plays out at the end, you're like, oh, there was at least 15 minutes you could have cut that don't really factor into this point. And this movie doesn't have that. And if that's what you're going to call flaws, Justin, of everything is so well acted, you wanted more of those characters that were kind of your side slash ancillary characters. I can agree with that. That's a fair assessment. Because everybody is so well acted and so well portrayed that the characters you get the Mm -hmm. least of, yeah, you want more of them. And you don't want it to sacrifice the character traits and and, and development you got of your other characters. So by default, you kind of just need some more movie. I get it. That's a fair assessment. And that's why I said I'm using a loose term of a flaw because it's like interpretive like it's not really like if that because it didn't have that it the quality of this film is not good or something like that i don't look at it like a a flaw in the traditional sense but it's just one of those where it's like man you know i'm just i'm I'm just gonna be greedy here and just want more stuff you know and if, if that's like your biggest flaw with the movie i'm pretty sure most like filmmakers would love for that to be a flaw. Like, mm-hmm. their big noticeable yeah. flaw in a movie is you just wanted more. Like, not, but not to the degree of you wanted more because you just didn't get enough of anything. Like, that is the swing side. Because that's the kind of the Eternals problem. Because it's two hours and 40 minutes long and you really didn't get a lot. Yeah. Whereas this, it's just... You just wanted a little more. Yeah, that's fair. That's reasonable. I get that. I can get on board with that. Uh, one thing I and want to touch on. This is director's... Oh, oh go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead and say what you were going to say. I think this was the director's only second movie that he's ever done. This is his like, first I'm looking at his feature-length film. Mm-hmm. Like, They Die okay. in the End, I think, is only like 55 minutes long. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, oddly enough, just like has a uh, Michael K. Williams playing Nat Love in that movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I just think that's really fantastic and impressive with how well this movie was done with that being his first feature-length film. Oh, yeah, the man knocks it out of the park. Uh, and it feels like this must have been a passion project. Or something like that, like something that he must have really wanted to do and finally got to do it. I mean, you could just tell that 
they were having fun filming this and doing this. It just felt it had that it had that energy about it. Like I bet that this was fun to make as well. well and I think that that comes out in the film, you know, what the energy that he directed with. And I agree that this has to be a passion project, especially like the whole Nat Love side of things, because he's directed two movies and like part of a documentary about Jay Z or whatever. But he's directed essentially two movies, this being one of them, and both of them have Nat Love as a character, and they're both westerns. So this is definitely, I agree, this was one hundred percent a passion project because that seems to be what this guy wants to make. And speaking of that movie. um the stagecoach Mary in that they die by dawn is Erica Badu. Just FYI, everybody. Oh, there you go. He very much has a type then for stagecoach Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause Zazie beats and Erica Badu are a lot alike. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. When you think about it, that's, that's true. And yeah, like when you think about, the the actual stagecoach Mary and you're looking at like just some of the stuff she was like six feet tall and like I mean she was a pretty large woman so yeah oh, not man. to bring that all that back up again just, but you know just right not back quite into what we it, got. Justin, right back into it <laughs> I know um, <laughs> right back into that fire let's go let's go let's go away let's go away Spider Man no I'm kidding no but, well I just I mean. one last thing about this movie. One of the things I like at the very end of the movie, when you, you, you hear the justification from Rufus, you know, telling that why he did what he did. I like a, how it didn't feel like just a cheap explanation of why I did appreciate though, that it was weird how his story of vengeance, Rufus's his story of vengeance in a lot of ways, mirrors Nats, but it was his vengeance that caused Nat to have his vengeance, and I really mm-hmm. just appreciate the way that they mirrored each other with that aspect, you know, and that in doing so, also Rufus knew that that day would come. He's like, I marked you so I would know who you are when you came back, when you came for me. Mm-hmm. He knew what that meant, you know, and like those aspects of it all. I just think it's, it's a little subtle thing that like, it shows that tumultuous relationship that you, if you have that with revenge, you're getting revenge could cause someone then to want revenge on you. So it's not as clean cut as I got my vengeance stories over. No. You might just be starting a new story. It's the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning and all this other shit. Like, your story ended on it, but another story began on it. Yeah. And then there's just so much there with, like, just the philosophical, psychological aspect of it. Because a lot of times with these revenge movies and stuff like that, the revenge is over when you just kill the other person that wronged you. You know, normally, especially in Westerns, that's normally how it goes. You just kill the person that wronged you and it's over. But this revenge 
was on a like philosophical, almost like psychological level of it doesn't just end when I kill you because he did kill his father, um, Rufus Black. But it's also like ending your legacy or like making your legacy something that I knew you didn't want it to be like you were running from this other life, but I'm going to make your son, my brother, I'm going to turn him into the monster that you were trying to run away from being. So in that way, your legacy is tainted. Like, even though I killed you, it's like even sweeter that like your legacy is tainted. And I played a part in that. And then even though I have to die, just knowing that I was able to do that somehow, that's, that's pretty crazy. Like that's on some other level of revenge, which is why I think it's so cool, you know? Yeah, no, it's just, and it's funny because if you really think about it, like the whole John Wick franchise has kind of embodied the same principles of this movie of, yeah, John Wick gets his revenge at the end of that movie. And he thinks it's over. But all it did was cycle, start a new cycle of revenge that starts another cycle of revenge. And just, you know, they've built that franchise on the tumultuous nature of what getting revenge can lead to. And I like how this movie just portrayed the same type of thing, but differently. So, you guys want to go to Spider-Man real quick? Yeah. Yep. A new full-length Spider-Man trailer dropped today and uh What did what did you guys think? I don't need to go first. I'm the worst person in the world to go first on anything Marvel movie related. Um Heather, what about <laughs> you? What did you think? Just real quick. What were your thoughts about this, the I, new Spider-Man trailer? I mean, it it's weird. I have weird feelings because it does look good, but at the same time, like, just all these different characters from these different Spider-Man universes, like, I feel like it's going to cause a lot of plot, um, like, plot holes, but I, I can't, I'm conflicted because... I don't think it looks bad. I just, I wonder if the trailer is going to be better than the movie itself. <laughs> and, and I would hate that because I have really been a fan of these new Spider-Man movies um, with Tom Holland, but I don't know what they're planning. I just don't know what their aim is with it fully. So I'm a little bit worried that they're going to try to do too much with it. Sort of eternal style where they put a bunch of stuff in it. And just to just for the sake of it, but they don't really explain much about it. And yeah, I just honestly feel like there might be plot holes. That's my biggest concern with it. But at the same time, it was a good trailer. I mean, it looks like it will be good, but I I worry that the trailer makes it look better than it's actually going to be. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm 
definitely in a similar place as far as what some of my fears are, because I do fear that what if the movie is just overstuffed and it really can't properly deliver all of this and it could just wind up being a a big mess. You know, that's like the biggest fear um, in the back of my head. But the trailer did give me more hope, I think, than what I initially had, because I did see some things that I liked, like not necessarily um, with just what was going on, like, okay, you know, uh, Electro's back and Otto Octavius is back and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that stuff was okay. But just some of the character stuff that they were kind of doing with Spider-Man intrigues me. Like whenever, um, you know, Dr. Strange is talking and, or, or somebody is monologuing, or it might've been Octavius. One of them is monologuing and they're like, you know, you thought that you could have everything, but what life is forcing you to do is kind of make a choice. So it felt like maybe that's going to be kind of the theme of this is like, what, what predicament is it going to put Spider-Man into where he has to make a choice? And then that conversation he was having with Dr. Strange, where Dr. Strange was like, well, and all of these villains respective timeline, they are killed. So they have to die, Peter. Like you have to kill them. Like essentially the only way to make this right in the timeline and the situation and stuff like that is these people have to be killed. They have to die. And then Parker kind of fighting that and going, Oh, there's gotta be another way and stuff like that. I didn't know I was going to get anything like that. So that intrigues me. Like that was something that I didn't think I was going to get like this whole idea that, you know, these, these villains are coming from these different timelines. And of course, maybe it could just wind up being a thing. You know, I've seen multi-universe like we've seen multiverse stuff like this and cartoons and even like the Spider-Verse movie. Maybe it is just as simple as there's a big machine or there's a portal or something. They all get sucked into the portal and everything is fixed. You know, there could maybe be that scenario. You know, I'm not holding out on that. So maybe this could go crashing. You know what I mean? But the fact that there were some ideas presented there that I think will make the movie good. Like I liked that. I like this whole idea of Spider-Man having to make this choice and the idea that you can't have every, you you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And sometimes you got to make hard choices. And what, what choice is Spider-Man going to make? I think if that's the principal theme and that, and the movie is more about that, than it is about the, I guess you can say the, the, the candy coated stuff with all the villains and stuff like that, then maybe this movie can succeed, you know? And I don't think that they, of course, I don't really think that they gave away all of the surprises. We didn't see any other Spider-Man in this, but obviously we're seeing villains from the other Spider-Man movies. So Maybe it'll work out, man. And I mean, the other two Spider-Man movies were good. I don't, so I don't have a reason to think that this would be bad, but 
after Eternals and what that was, I just hope that this doesn't fall into some of the similar traps where you have too many characters and you just don't have enough time to flesh out this story. Though, one advantage that they have with some of these villains and stuff is that they do have their own movies. We already know these characters. So that might help the plot. You don't have to spend as much time with explaining and expositing your villains and different things like that because we already have movies with them. We already know who they are. So that might help the movie. But yeah, man, I'm, but I am intrigued. You know, I am intrigued and I'm holding out for it. And maybe it's just a Spider Man uh, fanboy in me, but I hope it's good, man. I really hope that they can put this all together and it's not too much of a mess. Yeah, that's my big worry with it is how many superhero movies that are like single superhero movies succeed with like more than two villains. It's very hard to do, you know, mm-hmm. and they're fucking doing a sinister six. I mean, we see Sandman, we see Electro, Doc Ock, Green Goblin. Um, fuck lizard was in this. Uh, at the end, you see the lizard jumping and shit. So that's five. I'm sure there's going to be a sixth villain they're hiding, you know, somewhere. Whether it's like the vulture coming back or any number of things. It's just, why would they do five and not six? So I feel like there's going to be a sixth still that we just haven't seen yet. Maybe it's Venom. Who knows? Um, but yeah, they're throwing, they're throwing essentially the Sinister Six at us with this. And, you know, You've got that, but then it shows that there's an adversarial thing for at least part of the movie with him and Doctor Strange. So it's like, well, that's an adversarial plot line. You've got the other adversarial plot lines in this movie. I'm just like, fuck, I am so insanely worried that this is just going to be so overly stuffed. Just triple mega stuffed Oreo stuffed. Like... You take a whole family or a party pack of or- double stuffed Oreos, take all the cream out of all of them, and put that between just two of the cookies type of stuffed. And it just, that never works well for a superhero movie. Especially Spider Man. We've seen it before. You know, we saw what happens when you're just throwing villains out there like they did in Spider Man 3. Or when they did it even worse, somehow even worse in Amazing Spider-Man 2. You know, when yeah. you have Electro and the Green Goblin and the Rhino here and there. I know the Rhino is in it very shortly and very small, but it's like, it's still they're overstuffing it. And those tend to be the worst Spider-Man movies when they're overstuffed. I mean... Those single villain story arcs with Spider-Man in the movies, those all work better than multiple Spider-Man villains in a movie. I mean, as much as I am not a huge fan of the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, just having the Green Goblin and just having Doc Ock works infinitely better than when that franchise went to two and a half villains. Because, you know, Green or the Harry Cool Green Goblin. (laughs) 
is only a villain for like half the movie, you know, but it's, it always worked better with one. Look at amazing Spider-Man. You just have the lizard works infinitely better than when they have two main villains in that one. You look at the new trilogy, you've got the vulture. Yeah. You've got shocker for a little bit, but they put shocker as a thug. So they tamed him down a lot. So it's mainly, you just had the vulture and some thugs. That's the vulture. You know, in uh, Far From Home, you just have Mysterio. Now you have Mysterio's illusions and all that stuff, which are also nods to other Spider-Man villains, but, oh man, they have so many villains in this movie. Just so many. I'm so worried. I, I do agree with you, Justin, at least, at least the fact is, do you really have to dive into Doc Ock in this movie? No, you don't. If you want to dive into his backstory, go watch Spider-Man 2. Same with yeah. the Green Goblin. You know, you want Green Goblin's backstory? Go fucking watch the first Spider-Man. Now, I do know at least the Electro in this is a different Electro than we got in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. He's gold in this, and he actually looks like just uh, Jamie Foxx, and he's not blue. Um. I did also like the fact that I don't know if you guys noticed this for just a hit, like a slight one of the scenes. He's got the classic electro mask on of just all the lightning bolts. Yeah. That was, that that, was cool. I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was kind of cool. I did. I, I liked that. Um, you know, I don't think Sandman and lizard, I don't think they're going to be big villains in this movie, which is at least a plus that maybe, you know, that final scene where Dr. Strange is like, I don't know if I can stop them. Maybe that's where, you know, Sandman and Lizard and mysterious mystery villain number five or whatever, or six comes in, you know, maybe throughout the movie, you're just mainly dealing with Doc Ock and Green Goblin. You know, you're just dealing with them. And then in that final sequence, maybe that's when you get Electro. That's when you get Lizard, Sandman, and mystery villain. You know what I mean? Yeah, when everything's going. Yeah, because it does look like there's going to be a scene where everything kind of goes haywire. And like you said, that scene where he was like, I don't think I can stop them and all this kind of stuff like that. You know, there's going to be a haywire scene where we have more appearances. And like you said, that might be the way to go. You know, you maybe have two or three that you're dealing with most of the movie, which I you can tell that Doc Ock is going to be prominent in it because there's that scene where he was, where they had him captured somewhere. Yeah. And that was a funny scene. And they were like Otto Octavius and them being the, the youthful kind of alternate universe Spider-Man, them laughing at how ridiculous his name is. That was tight. Now to like, be fair, and see, by like, 2021 <laughs> standards, Otto Octavius is a dumbass fucking name. Yeah. So I thought that that was so tight. Like that was tight. So see if it's got stuff and that's like the Spider-Man Tom Holland stuff we love, right? That's the modernized kind of Spider-Man stuff that we love. So I hope you're right about that though. I hope that some of these appearances are just in a final big blow off scene where we just have a ton of appearances and then we get them in and we get them out real quick. Like we did in Loki. You know, with the variant Lokis, 
And that would be something fair. like that. I think if you know, if at least two of you, like, so we know there's five villains. At least if two of them just show up at the end battle, and it makes sense that that'd be Lizard and Sandman because those are your most nondescript who gives a fuck villains out there. So yeah, of course, just throw them at the end. All of a sudden, there's a sand guy and a lizard man. Sure, fuck it. You know yeah. what I also think is going to yeah. happen? I know there's a lot of rumors that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this movie. I bet if they are, if they are, I know both of them are saying they're not. Everybody's saying they're not, but the rumors are that they are. If they're in this movie, that's when they show up. I think they just show up at the end. I don't think they're going to be in the movie, yeah. the whole movie. I think they, the way the the way this trailer is shot, or at least presented to us, if they show up, it's just at the end. And I think the one scene I think we're going to see it in the movie that I think I might have figured out where Marvel lied to us. Because we all know Marvel lies in every single one of their trailers. They intentionally Always. lie to us every time. That scene where Spider-Man is jumping at everybody and you see the lizard jumping, you see Electro, you see Sandman, you see, you know, uh, you know, all those villains like right there. Right. And he, Spider-Man's jumping at them. I bet my prediction, the other two Spider-Man are in that scene too, like swinging with him. Uh, and they just Mm. like CGI them out. Yeah. 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 I could see that. I can see that the way that shot is I framed. Totally see that. I think that that's what they do because that's typically what they do. They take a shot and they erase characters, or they put someone else in there. Like in Avengers: uh, Infinity War, what did they do? They didn't want to give away that the Hulk isn't in that movie, so they CGI'd the Hulk over the Hulkbuster armor. You know, so instead of Hulkbuster armor, you got Hulk. You know, which that was one of the lies in that one. Or they'll frame it to where they're cutting off literally the other part of the scene where you would see the characters. They've done that before. So in this one, I think that that's what it is. I think the other two Spider-Men are in that scene. And we just, they just got rid of it. Because the way it is, the way they frame it, everything is so, I mean, it could also work as the scene is shown in the trailer where it's the lone Spider-Man going up this vast array of villains taking up the rest of the screen it's just the way that's framed it feels like there's those gaps that a, two other spider-men could fit in you know that's just how i feel that's my prediction we'll see i can we'll see, see in december that. and them showing up at the end might just be the smarter way to do it rather than a whole movie with all these people and you're like we you know them trying to get home and them having conversations with peter and all this kind of stuff maybe that is just a smarter way to do it things start going haywire with this uh with these alternate universes and stuff just starts appearing and they appear you know in the midnight hour uh, they see another spider-man in trouble they realize what it is and they help and then they get back to where they are exactly and it could just literally be you know and then whenever they show up Peter Parker could look over to Dr. Strange and Dr. Strange go, well, if they can, if you know, the bad guys can come, why couldn't the Spider-Man or the, you know what I mean? Like, like Dr. Strange helped the Spider-Man come across to help type of situation, you know? Yeah. He's like, I couldn't close the door at the time, but that doesn't mean I couldn't help other people get across. But also Mm -hmm. all that shit's going down with, 
like a Doc Ock and all this other shit. Man, if Doctor Strange is in that scene also, and that's accurate, Doctor Strange couldn't take out everybody? Come on. Come on. Come on. It's Doctor yeah, Strange. Yeah, exactly. Out everybody. There's got to be something else to yeah. it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so maybe he's got to come stay up with focused. some sort of reason. Well, it could be that he's yeah. got to stay focused on making sure the portal or whatever it is that's causing all this to not spread. Like, he's got to stay focused yeah. with his magical energies on that. Or otherwise, it will just destroy our universe and the multiverse. It'll all collapse in on itself or some shit. That's the easy way you nerf him out of the scene. Is just be like, he yeah. has to stand there and do that. Yeah. But just in my You're head, I'm just sitting there thinking. Because... Name one Spider-Man villain that Doctor Strange couldn't just <laughs> snap just like to be. I know. So quick. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be a thing. Like, Doctor Strange could be sitting at a table, drinking tea, and reading a newspaper, and beat any of Spider-Man's villains, and not even move. Like, he's just still sitting there at the table. Yep. Still sitting there at the table. He could just send his cloak. Yeah, especially in this universe where his cloak is sentient. He could just send his cloak and go, no, cloak, just go fly that man away. And the cloak just goes and wraps around the guy's face and flies him the fuck away. And just drops him (laughs) in the middle of the ocean. Done. (laughs) Or just creates a portal and they're dropped into the Antarctica. They're like, we're going to get you. Oh no, a portal. I'm in Antarctica. No. Done. Like, how long is Sandman going to last in Antarctica? Or the lizard? A cold-blooded animal that needs the sun for heat. How is it going to last in Antarctica? It'd be dead in five seconds. <laughs> it's a fucking lizard. So th- they have to nerve him with something. They have to. Yeah, you're right. He's going to be preoccupied doing something. And it might even be cool if an unexpected appearance happens. Like, you know, like maybe he's like, man, I don't know if I have enough power to do this. And, you know, Scarlet Witch shows up and helps close the portal or something. I don't know. You know, it might even be cool to see her, you know. Yeah, there's got to be something. Or Wong. It, it, it would be, I think it'd be even better if it's just Wong. Wong shows up and goes, that'd be tight. Because, you know, he's in the movie for that little bit that they showed in the other trailer. If he just comes back and he's like, really strange, all of this, and just fixes it real quick. Because he's not incompetent. <laughs> Like, that'd be funny if, like, they beat all the villains, but they're like, we still can't close the portal, and Wong just shows up and goes, really, waves his arm, and the portal's closed. Like, really strange. Yeah. You did all this, and you didn't read how to fix it. It's this. Come on. With, with Wong and Shang-Chi. No, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Better not get Shang-Chi in this movie. I'm just saying. We better not. Because <laughs> also, nah. what could Shang-Chi not do that wouldn't beat any of Spider-Man's villains? Like <laughs> I know, man. With those rings, dog. <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie, I want to see Doc Ock fight Doctor Strange now, because it'd just be nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like think about it, especially if he used the powers that his villains used in the first movie, in the Doctor Strange movie, of making those like invisible sword things that they can just shoot everywhere. He just murk them all. Just all of them dead. <laughs> or that fucking when he did the the Cthorak fucking bands or whatever the fuck they're called in in uh Infinity War that he used to hold Thanos for a little bit and he just does that on all of them and they're just like 
Man, we can't move. So, yeah. Well, we'll see. It's December. It's not that far away. It's literally, I think, a month away from this week. So, around the corner. We'll find out. And you'll get our fresh hot takes. And maybe, just maybe, I won't be completely miserable in a fucking Marvel movie. Oh, Shang-Chi wasn't bad. I, I shouldn't say that. Shang-Chi was pretty good. So. I just didn't like the third act. Ugh. Ugh. Now I'm revisiting that. Ugh. No. Man. And now I'm like, oh, let me think of good movie. Let me think of the harder they fall. And then I'm like, man, but what about that casting? Oh, we just, oh, I've been so good. See, now I'm just trapped in a fucking wheel of ugh movies. Like, just thoughts. Not like bad movies, just thoughts. And I'm like, ugh. What am I going to do now? Justin, I fucking hate you sometimes. Now I'm stuck. I'm seriously fucking stuck now. (sighs) I know. I can tell that that rocked you. That that revelation rocked you, man. Have you seen seen the behind the scenes of Creed 2 when they're filming that scene when Drago knocks out Creed in the first fight? And when they filmed it, he actually connects with the punch and it legitimately like Michael B. Jordan's like, he, I didn't really get knocked out, but I had to fake acting like it for the crowd. Cause we wanted it to make it really believable. But when you watch it, you're like, motherfucker, you got knocked out. That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> like you just clocked me solid and I just knocked the fuck out, but I'm trying to like act like I wasn't like, no, I'm just really good at acting. So I fell straight on my face. In a very unconscious manner. <laughs> nah, he gets clean knocked the fuck out. He's just running. And there's no shame. That guy that plays Drago is massive. Very few people would not get knocked out by a clean shot from that man. Yeah. There's no shame in that. He is a gargantuan. I feel like I'm slightly dazed from just thinking about that punch. Anyway. Let's, we've gone off the fucking rails. Let's end this shit. So yeah. I can not sleep tonight because I'm just going to be thinking about casting alternative people in, in fucking a movie I loved. Fuck. Anyway, um, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Simple Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Facebook, we're Cinema Slayers podcast. Twitter and Instagram, we're Cinema underscore Slayers. On TikTok, we are Cinema Slayers pod. I have made up for the episode that I did miss because of my cat stuff. So I am all caught up and I'm at like a fucking 108 days straight. This is seriously the most difficult thing I've done in my life. And I know it doesn't sound that hard, but fuck doing anything for 108 straight days that is not necessary to live. is difficult to do. You know, I can eat every day because I need to live. But you know what is hard? Watching a different movie and making a TikTok. A one minute TikTok. That's fucking difficult. (laughs) Just 108 straight days. I've only got 38 more days. Fuck me. No, God, it's more than that. I can't even math. I can't even math anymore. I don't know. 100, no, I've got 45 more days. That's how many days I've got. 45 more days 
of this. And then I will still keep doing TikToks after that. I'm just not going to be doing them every day. It'll be like maybe a couple of weeks. So anyway, enough of that. Five-star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your family's friends, tell your friends' families. And especially, especially those dear sweet mothers. Because you know what dear sweet mothers like? Casting controversies that make you question the universe as a whole. That's what mothers like. That's what I'm doing, Jess. I'm questioning the universe. I hope you're fucking happy. Um, and just as I was in the podcast and as I was in my TikToks, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Cinema the last thing I would want for you, Sterling, is to have this conundrum in a Moon Knight movie. So hopefully they get those right. I mean, it's got Oscar Isaac. And it's got Josh Hartnett or Ethan Hawke, whichever the fucker is. <laughs> They're in it. This yeah, is whichever the, one. That's really all they've cast, or that's really all they've told. You know, or anything. And we'll see we'll see i mean if anybody's gonna win it like you know oscar isaac he brings that credibility man he can do it i mean his name is oscar i mean how could he not be a good actor oscar winning that moon knight oscar man double lost his parents they understood the assignment they named him (laughs) and then he understood the assignment (laughs) he became an actor Man, what if I end up being right about fucking uh, Jonathan Majors and it's because he wins for like playing King the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3? That'd be the most epic call ever <laughs> if that's how he wins it. That would be. That would be tight, though. All right, I'm ending this shit. <laughs>